Can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me okay? Yes. I'll just do International it. Space Station, how do you hear me? <laughs> Come in. <laughs> Distant balloon in the air. Come in. There's something they say when they start the conferences from Earth to the space station. Are you aware of that? Do they take on a different voice? Do they kind of sound spacey? It, no, it's just supposed to be the official greeting to connect. It's mm. like, International Space Station, how do you hear me? <laughs> and then that's the first intro, and then the International Space, we hear you fine, Smithson High School. <laughs> and then they can, you know, that's their thing. Right, right, that's right. Anyway. International Community, how can you hear us? <laughs> how do you hear us? <laughs> do you hear us at all? Do you? Let are us we, know. Are we drowned out by the Trump and Hitlery talk? Oh yeah. Well, today is February first, twenty seventeen. This is issue sixteen. Uh, what are we on? Let's take a look at my Pod Cruncher because that's where I keep all my Clues Chronicles. Oh yes, we're on sixteen now. Wow. Okay. It's been a while. Um, it, today's topic is Columbine. But first, since we don't have a guest, let's just catch up with each other, if you if, if that sounds all right with you, Kay. Yes, let's catch up. has it been going with you <laughs> <laughs> it has been going fine no it's been great i'm i'm doing this new uh medical thing health thing dr morse i'm really into it wow i think he's on to something big our diet should be like the closest to animal that looks like us so if because i look more like a camel i should be eating like but I've I've not seen a hump on you. So, no, oh, you're oh, oh. But because he says we have the same tongue, the same chewing and swallowing mechanism, we have the same type of digestive system, the same type of upper and lower, you know, intestinal tracts and kidney setup. Why shouldn't we eat the same as them? This is basically his pitch, and he, he makes a lot of sense. And who's his them? Clinic, um. Oh, we should eat the same as primates. Thank you. Oh, yeah. got it. Because we are more close to them than anything. And right now we even, he said, our meat intake is higher than even felines. And they're one of the highest meat intakes on the planet. Mm -hmm, their digest, mm -hmm. you know, their, um, their consumption of meat. Ours is above that. He says, that's crazy. That's cool. Well, you've always been a healthy person anyway. But what, what made you kind of, get interested in this particular health perspective? Um, well, you know, everyone has illnesses. And when you're looking for a, a cure mm. and you just keep getting sicker and you see people around you getting sicker, you're like modern medicine. And they're just, they take your money and kill you. There's some modern medicine that's, you know, good. I mean, I think we're definitely overusing 
antibiotics, you know, I think that's what they're saying now is they have to come up with this next tier of bacteria killing things instead of, mm-hmm. you know, other things like healing your own body and things like that. Um, and, and surgery is certainly a way that we've preserved lives. But I think for non-surgery, you know, non-vivisection things, there's often a diet solution for sure. Right. So, I mean, that when you break your arm, you're happy to have a doctor fix it and put a cast on it, right? Right. Obviously. You wouldn't you wouldn't argue that that's, yeah, that, that oh, no, Throw don't. Throw fruit at it. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm going to rub these banana peels on my arm and it'll get. Right. No, be reasonable. But things like diabetes, um, MS, cancer, all of those can be cured with the proper diet and but he does sell supplements because you know he says he he was a herbologist and he's seen so many cases where people are cured you know i'm air quoting of their illness but what really they did is they made their body healthy so it was able to overcome their genetic weakness Hmm. or Hmm. their Hmm. physical weakness yeah that makes sense that's all every illness is it's just your body expression you know where you're weak so when your body gets into acidosis meaning Hmm. your lymph system can't clean itself properly and you're you have a high acid diet well that's those express themselves i i think that's really a plausible thing but i mean that's certainly a bold statement every single illness so virology and that sort of stuff we're saying that's something that we should be skeptical of or right so what dr moore says is with viruses he doesn't know what they are and what their role to play is but you shouldn't ever be afraid of them because they really don't do anything as far as he's concerned like if you think you have a cold you don't have a cold it's your body expressing toxins from itself just like you know if you eat something bad you throw up or you get diarrhea or Mm. you know you sweat real bad because you're getting rid of toxins, it's same with your sinuses. You, there's no such thing as cold that doesn't exist. Right. They haven't. Yeah. There's no like uh, cold germ. Right. So you can't catch a cold. You understand? Mm-hmm. That's yep. the thing. Yep. There's no catching colds. And most likely, why we get a cold in the winter is because there's less fruit around. <laughs> Fascinating. Interesting. Well. It's a good idea. It's worth investigating anyway. Um, I think we, we don't specialize on this show at um, developing new theories or anything, but I, I think we are really good at raising questions. And I definitely am on board with the idea that we don't really understand health fully. There's so much to learn and maybe relearn and maybe even unlearn because of the influence of corporations and pharmaceutical companies just as an example of corporation that influences the way we think through public relations campaigns and advertising and propaganda (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so we need to re-examine these uh, notions that they're feeding us and yeah i think that's that's just something we can (laughs) at least and and center for disease control for example as we went over in the aids thread they plan to implement some health scare deliberately in order to get people to do something you know and it it might even have some hybrid intentions between like good intentions and extremely selfish money uh, motivations right 
we're lucky though because we've looked into it you know yeah we understand that the fraud that's there but like you know dr morse that's m-o-r-s-e-n-d and he has a cool youtube channel and stuff but he, he seems to fall for ebola you know i was mm-hmm. like oh he fell for it but you know what he didn't investigate it he doesn't understand yeah, I suppose that's the case sometimes. It also sometimes, I mean, let's face it, we all are subject to confirmation bias. We're subject to bringing our own bias to the table. We're subject to being convinced by a way of talking about things so that we seem at least a little authoritative <laughs> because you know, people have this idea that if something is slightly polluted, the whole philosophy is tainted and shouldn't be trusted so he he probably feels a responsibility or maybe an obligation to be an authority on everything you know well right thank and goodness when we don't, thank goodness we don't put that on ourselves <laughs> right here you know we're just like well we don't know right we don't know but like with him he gets patients coming to him who were dying of aids and he cured them so he's like, well, the doctor said they had AIDS. I cured him, so I cured AIDS. And he does, you know, cure cancer. They're, they have a clinic in Florida, and oh, he's, they have a 94% cure rate. It sounds like you were um, really enthusiastic about his public relations campaigns. Oh, I've been re- watching a ton of his videos. I ordered a couple of his books. I've been doing this for about three, four weeks now. Do you feel like you're still exercising skepticism or do you feel like, well, this is a guy I can follow and, you know. Always this, always waiting for the scammer. Always yeah. waiting. Vortex math. <laughs> Idiots. I mean, come on. Vortex. Oh, my God. Always wait. I'm always, you know, does this make sense? Is this what I say? I think, um, what's his name? Sean. He said, you, you have to always ask yourself, you know, what's. What's what's the deal? Are they trying to scam me? Is this fake? Does this make sense? Do you feel sense? healthier? Do you feel healthier? Is and can you be sure it's not placebo or or are you kind of just experimenting with Morris right now and you want to see if you feel healthier or? Right, I am experimenting. Okay. Uh, first, I thought you couldn't live on fruit. Well, I, I wonder thought there about wasn't that. enough there. I'm I'm living on it quite mm-hmm. healthily. But don't they say you absolutely need some kind of? Animal fats, or or at least some kind of replacement for that. I mean, what what would a gr- an ape eat? I guess I don't know. You know, you might might eat a little squirrel here and there, maybe. So, you so know, that's the some protein. Is, is that you're doing that? Okay. Well, yeah, that's true. Okay, here's my understanding. Um, there were some insects. Yeah, insects. That's a good point. There was um. There's a couple of people I know that I'm pretty close to, and uh, they were vegan for a while. And they were trying everything, um, but it just wasn't working. They were feeling super fatigued, and they went to, they went to a nutritionist, and and they said you can't do this anymore. Your body is basically starting to digest itself, and you've got to mix in animal fats. But they said specifically separate the animal fats from the protein. So, example, clarified butter, ghee, or lard, or uh, suet, not just animal, not just animal, but specifically the fats mixed properly with, you know, things like leafy greens or meat, um, which sounds kind of like a contradiction because they 
eventually got around to doing that. But at first, they were separating the meat from the from the fat, and they had a really strong recovery. And they also claim that when they were um, when they became experts in the diet and started recommending it, recommending it to others, they found that <laughs> it it was like it was like the the classic pitch of the snake oil salesman. You know, it makes fat people skinny. It gets skinny people plumper again. You know, it cures arthritis. It cures diabetes. It's like it seemed to fix all sorts of problems. And that sounds to me like kind of like what Dr. Morris is pitching now, just from what I'm hearing from you. So it's right. interesting. I feel like ultimately every body type is different and you got to figure out what your body type is and that it might help to look into your past ethnicity, your ancestry. Yeah, exactly. Find your weakness. Yeah. yeah. Find weaknesses and strengths and play to those. Right. But I have to add for this to make sense, right? You need this next piece of information because it's crucial. Okay. It's all about alkaline and acid. Yeah. What you're eating. It's all about that. And if I send you the chart. No, I know. I've seen that chart. It's really good. Like blueberries yeah. are super good alkaline. You, uh, oh, no, this is a better chart. You want to be avoiding You're, cheese and, and tea and coffee and meat, super high sugars that shoot up your acid and stuff. Yeah, I, I've seen that. I think that's a really good practice. I don't think it's I don't think it's the, the one principle that you need, but you, you wouldn't think. Right. But turns out. Uh, he has so many cases that say otherwise. How it's super hard to ignore all his data. Hmm. I mean, cancer survivors are like five percent now. You know, once you get full blown cancer and you have to go through everything after like five, ten years, you're 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 done yeah. because you're getting cancer from your treatment. Yeah. But I mean, if you go the food route, you know, there's no death. No one's ever been killed. No one's ever died from not eating meat. And the problem with meat is they look like they're gaining weight. But what Dr. Morse would say is what's happening is these fats is your body is um, it's coming in. And by the time they process it, it's so acid. It's like a toxin and your body has to cover it with fat to protect you from it. Mm. So it's fake health. Right on. Hey, I mean, but anyway, it, it's a big subject. my friend. It is a really big subject. And to say, for example, that, you know, it's hard to ignore all this data. I mean, you could say that about 9-11, couldn't you? Well, it's hard to ignore all the data. Some of it must be, you know, there must be a real plane in there somewhere. But it turns out, nope. So, I mean, the argument of just mountains of data, I think everyone has to just research everything for themselves and health is a health is actually a really good one to do you know if you want to just drop all the conspiracies and stuff like that and, <laughs> and just focus on why have i gotten ill or why have my parents gotten ill and am i at risk of s similar things because of genetics or habits or both i think that's a pretty awesome thing to focus on we're not going to focus on that today but no we're going to focus on the other way not life we're going to focus on death today. Oh, my. That's a way of putting it. Yeah. So is everything going well in your life? It is. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just exploring the food thing and what that looks like in my kitchen. If I'm going to make such a, a big change, I haven't yet. I mean, my yeah. my family, I don't know if I can convince them. But mm. so, yeah, I've been kind of 
you know, when I get into something, I just freaking dive totally into it, <laughs> absorb myself in it. So cool. But what have you been up to? How you been? Good, good. Um, I I have been well doing what I normally do, which is I guess I can share that I I'm I'm of an artistic persuasion, so I dabble in writing and drawing, to put it simply. And I've been doing that lately quite a bit. I've been focusing on one particular piece that I hope to share this year. I always have a bunch of art things I'm working on. But besides my besides my hobbies and whatever, uh, I have been taking a break from Clues Forum a little bit. I mean, I drop in now and then, but I've just been so busy. I haven't really had much time to get back to it. I did just drop $75 into the account that that keeps SeptemberClues.info going, which is our site that is kind of a static summary of the September Clues research. That's the initial site that we originally started way back in the late 2000 aughts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I've just been really busy, but it's been good. I've been having a really good life and also focusing on health a bit and dodging the allergies and colds that are going around as much as possible. Oh, or, or Dr. Morse would say you don't have a cold or an allergy. It's your body or maybe allergy. Yeah. Because that is seasonal, but the cold is your body expelling toxins. What did you eat that your body needs to expel? Hmm, there you I'm, go. I'm trying the paradigm out, you know. Okay, well, thank you. That I appreciate you reframing it because actually that's kind of what this show is about too, isn't it? It's like reframing from different perspectives. How is it that we can process what is going on in our world? Well, I'd say I have been actually eating a regular diet of fruit. That might be what's helped keeping me healthy and going i don't know but i think fresh fruit is way better than for example pre-processed smoothie that you buy you know packaged up i think you want the freshest realest food you can get right and i mean who knows like it's so hard it should be seasonal though you know to eat fruit but that's why doc i'm gonna go back to dr morse again i apologize this will be the last time I swear to God, he would say we're we're really tropical animals. We should belong. We're islanders, you know, in the Pacific. Oh, stop it, because oh, that's where I want to go. Right. <clears throat> so he says, yeah, we get cold in the winter if you don't eat fat. You're absolutely you're going to freeze. So he's like, for a true frugivore, they don't we don't like winter because you get cold because you're not eating fat. That's true. You don't have fat on you. How would he explain? Inuit people, people who survive in tundra in Russia, people who live in temperate climates <laughs> that are doing all right, you know, ranging people, nomadic people. He probably doesn't have an explanation for that because he wants to focus on promoting his diet, don't you think? Oh, he does. He says the uh, the Eskimos that only eat well, they die like between 35 and 40. Mm. They don't have a long life. So he says it's just subsistence. It's emergency food, and that's why they're able to live. Interesting. But wow. This brings up lots of topics about um, almost, well, maybe it's just in my imagination, but it brings up topics of racism and 
things like one life is superior to one form of living is superior to another and so on and imposing values on each other but if we don't go there and and it's and we're just looking at okay here's how his experiments have shown up you know to be the case then uh I, yeah i mean i guess the message is try it and see how it works for you and right see how it works but he just you listen to his videos and it makes more sense but he says you know you can go through like a cleansing anyway and still be perfectly healthy and get a cold and there's no reason except your body's just doing its job and like oh here's a bunch of stuff let's get rid of that and okay well he's got i'm you know i'm sorry i can't help it because i've just been i've been experiencing so many different diet advices through the years and meeting different people with different staunch vegans to staunch omnivores and and been listening to these arguments for a long time so i'm very you know what the most exciting thing to me is that k you are excited about health because i want you to be alive for a long time (laughs) and i i want to be able to talk with you for a long time because i like you so that's that's great but I do have to answer the vegan question. Mm. Dr. Morse doesn't like, uh, he thinks a vegan diet is unhealthy. Because mm. if you look at the nutritional value of fruit, it's many times over the nutritional value of vegetables. They're just mm. so high in fruit. Mm. And vegetables don't have the enough sugars that you need like fruits do. And he said the fruit sugar is readily absorbed right into your cell. So it goes into your stomach through your, I mean, you don't even need to digest fruit to gain benefit from its sugars. Mm. It's that perfect and awesome. So what he says is all the other food you eat, your body tries to break it down to imitate what fruit already does. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. So. I just wanted to, I didn't want to misrepresent him, which I felt I had been doing. I wanted to. Oh my gosh, you know what? I think it's our job to misrepresent him because (laughs) we've got to represent him from our, our own thinking place rather than purely repeating things. You know, we don't want to parrot anything. Right, right. So, I mean, that leads me to ask, is there any, any area where you think besides the Ebola thing where he might be able to improve his, his message? Yeah, he's 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 afraid of ISIS, which you know, how can you blame him if you're if you're gonna believe the media? Uh, I would like to email him. You know, can we talk about this ISIS thing you keep telling people? You know, look how bad this planet is. <laughs> let's, oh, let's take, I see. We can drop that part. I suppose, yeah, we we have a tendency when we are crafting a worldview for people that we want to spread, maybe because like he, perhaps empathizes with people and cares about them and wants to protect their health as a doctor might we we connect our worldview to the dominant media stories that are just fluttering around because then hopefully somehow that will like get attention on you know our thing who who is like us that we actually we pay attention to what's going on we don't shut out the world but at the same time we have like very strong filters yeah. that, we, that we've developed. That's true. Oh no, it's a tough place to be in, hoy. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, uh, we'll just put a little uplifting song here and then come back.
Okay, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much better. Thank uh, yeah. you. I, I, yeah, we just did that thing where we edited in a song. So imagine in one instant, K, the song that we just played. The listeners will have actually heard a song. <laughs> I feel better now. We can talk about something much happier. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I didn't know we had that power. That's cool. Okay, well, so... Here we are at the Columbine and Virginia Tech threads at ClusForum.info. This is a pretty short thread. We've only got three pages going on it. I was wondering if um, if you think we could get through the whole thing today. Oh, why not? Let's try it. Okay. Uh, maybe we can just do the old-fashioned tag team reading thing. Yeah, that sounds great. June 17th, 2010. Here's a thread to discuss specifically the two more artificially famous shootings of recent memory, the media sensations Columbine Massacre and Virginia Tech Massacre, and the various discussions therein. Since the Kent State Massacre took place sometime around the period they were apparently assassinating people left and right, I think it too needs some attention for those who want to peek at it. The reason this thread has begun is to crack open publicly on this site, the notions that those events are completely fake, or partially fake, based on what we know about modern hoaxes, like 9-11-7-7 and NASA's silly Apollo projects. Please, as usual, discuss fakery first before speculating on evidence. And that was by me. That was my introduction to the thread. The idea that we discuss fakery first before speculating on evidence doesn't mean here throw out evidence, it means look at the evidence and determine what it is, rather than building up evidence, assuming it's true, and 
and then, you know, creating your pet theory or official conspiracy theory or whatever. Instead, we're looking at kind of the forensics of the thing. That's that's what we try to focus on, because all too often we want to rush to a conclusion and solve these things and say, well, as you can see, this is the thing that happened. And far too often we dismiss the idea that it may have been fabricated or a public relations study, which by now, I hope you understand, listeners, is the whole point of our podcast to have discussions around the awareness that we can all share together that there are attacks on the public imagination that are meant to lead us to uh, pre-written policy and things like that. Seems to be where it always goes, <laughs> to policy. And in this case, do you remember the policies that showed up after Columbine? Well, there's a bunch of school safety lockdown policies I know of. That's one. That's like that happened in schools. It's mandatory. You lose federal funding if you don't practice the drill. Really? If you don't practice the drill. And what is the drill about? The as lockdown sc- drill? Yeah. As a school teacher, you could probably re- refresh our memory for those of us who haven't been <laughs> in school for a while. Right. So the lockdown drill is uh, we all practice it where you have to um, – the school says, all right, uh, do, do, do. Uh, students and teachers, the school is now in lockdown. And so the die go out and I lock the door and I close it. And then on the inside, we have butcher paper. We cover all the windows with butcher paper so no one can look in. We turn the lights off and we sit at our desks very still and quiet until lockdown drill is over. Is there a reason it's called butcher paper? That seems morbid. Oh, oh just any paper, you know, because school windows don't have curtains on them. So how do you cover them? You know, what's at school? They have, you know, that poster paper stuff on the long rolls. Okay. Yeah, or whatever. Just cover your windows so no one can look in. That's the rule. There you go. Now, um, some say uh, get low. Also sit on the floor because when gunmen fire, they fire at waist high. So get below the waist just in case a gunman is shooting at your walls. And we do that uh, between, we have to have one drill a month. So between the lockdown, the earthquake, and then the um, fire drill. Yeah, those three. As far as I recall, the only experience I had in elementary school and then high school um, was there was a... uh, there was a code over the loudspeaker that would occasionally come on. And I think one of them was Mr. Brown is in the building, which is a super um, <laughs> raci- racially charged code, so qu- qu- quote, unquote code, <laughs> code, which meant that there was a stranger that people might want to keep an eye on that wandering around the building. And that, isn't that odd, though? I remember that Mr. Brown is in the building. What? Yeah. Even that is so dumb. Yeah. And then in high school, uh, when their response to Columbine seems to have been uh, putting magnets on the doors, which, as far as I know, many schools solved, so to speak, by having, you know, the rambunctious kids kick at the doors repeatedly until the magnets broke. So I'm talking about the school as, like, the community is the students because we're the majority, right? And Mm -hmm. we're kicking at the doors and 
breaking those magnetic locks and costing the school a lot of money. And that's a uh, economic attack on the imposition of basically being imprisoned in supposed institutions of learning. What do you mean uh, magnetic lock? Well, what would happen is on the doors to all exits, except for windows, um, during class, and I think even during lunch, they would turn on a magnet and it would seal the door so that you can't get in or out of the school. This was done as some kind of precaution, they, we were told, uh, to protect us. But there were plenty of kids who needed to go home, were not on school lunch for whatever reason, probably because their parents actually had some sense that the school lunches were filth and garbage and, and toxic. Um, and in any case, kids were leaving and now they couldn't leave because the schools were totally locked. But the magnets could be weakened because there are these electromagnetics mounted on the doors. And without destroying the the mechanism like with a baseball bat or something, you could simply force them with enough pressure to release after time. Oh, that's after, funny. After so probably, though, they could have left through the front office. Well, there may have been a couple, yeah, there may have been a couple places where, you know, you could, yeah, probably like the front office or something like that. That's a good thought. But kids didn't want to walk around. Well, plus they weren't encouraged to leave. Uh, So I think that it was, it was this thing where it was like, you're going to be in school now for your own safety, despite the fact that there was no, no Mr. Browns walking around, like trying to get in. And I think kids rightfully protested that and fought back and regained some sense of freedom that had been lost when the the prison-like situation started happening. So that was, oh, my, yeah. that was my experience of it. It's probably was bad for the parents and the teachers. Everyone probably hated it. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was like a – I think there's this kind of – military drill sergeant attitude that kind of comes with it like you hate it but you kind of like it because it trains you to be better right so the more authoritarian kids would be like this is terrible but so necessary you know let's revel in how terribly great this is or greatly terrible it is whereas (laughs) other kids who are more libertarian maybe were like this is bullshit i'm not going to be locked in any room so how insulting to be locked in oh my god Add that on top of what was already a kind of farm situation with the bells ringing and us all hurting ourselves between rooms like cattle. And it's just it gets to feel really industrial, really spooky. So I think that was actually one of the reasons I started writing in high school was because of because of the absurdity of high school and and realizing later in my life as a teenager how much uh, the entire – I mean, I've always resisted, but um, just how weird it really was started to really hit me in high school. Oh, it is weird, isn't it, how everyone's so compliant. Being a high school teacher myself, you know, I see the programming that goes on, and you really – wow. Most I don't, most teachers I don't think see it because they're also programmed, you see. 
Mm. They're in it too. But yeah, yeah, get you to follow the bell, get you to listen without thinking. That's a big deal in schools. Just follow along. It'd be different if it was, let's start the day with a, a critical thinking class. I'm not sure how many kids would be awake enough for that, but at least some kind of critical thinking class inserted somewhere in there. But instead, it's like, nah, too many classes rely on, if you're going to get this information, you're going to get it by rote, injected, thrown at you with videos these days. Yeah, I mean, teaching kids to resist the information is not going to result in as much, you know, testing scores that the that the schools probably compete for because it's all about those test scores, right? To get funding, to get, you know, awards and things. So, yep. So I'm looking here is witnesses Oh, the next, the next post. The next post. Next post in the thread. Thank you. Oh my goodness, there's a hundred and one of them. <laughs> Is that for real? Ah, Is this copied from somewhere? Yes, Does this it? is compiled by Ralph Starviego, Starvosan Zashmeyer. Zashmar, I guess is how you say it. I don't know. And I guess, you know, you could look at this in a number of ways. You could, you could say this is how 9-11 has all the witnesses saying there was something besides the 747, you know, the people who said there was no plane, who said it was a very small plane, a Learjet type, um, or, a, or they thought they saw a missile. These are the, this is the kind of witness testimony you might imagine. It is a test run for our imaginations. But even if one of them is true, it's kind of interesting. And how many are there? In this school that is was probably a real school and not just all <laughs> all some fiction. A hundred and one. You know what? Can, witnesses. That's crazy. Maybe is there? We we should probably do a rundown on the whole Columbine thing anyway, especially for like maybe the outside the United States listeners would like to have hear that. Sure, sure, right. So I guess what do you recall about it? Good question. Maybe we should, I hate to say this. <laughs> Where should we go for a good summary of Columbine? Oh, the Wikipedia, perhaps. I know. I hate to do that, but it's the official story and it's what we're trying to bust open or thinking Bef- it might not be real. Okay, before you do that, let me guess, because based on my memory, here's how the official story kind of enters unfiltered to the top layer of my filters. Something like, there's a couple kids, and they kind of liked violent video games, and they kind of felt bullied, and they might be intellectuals or nerds or considered outside the mainstream in some way, but they winded up priding themselves on that. But we would, we would, they would have us, the media would have us believe that they didn't really pride themselves on being alternative. They were actually really frustrated and confused. And all they wanted was, in the end, a way to vent their frustration. So um, having creepy slash neglectful slash abusive parents um, who had lots of guns, they managed to arm themselves and... Um, 
the jokes about hurting people increasingly in their diaries and such became um, more and more real until they decided, yeah, we're actually going to do it. And then they went to a school and just started killing people with pipe bombs and guns and people were hiding. And then, you know, there was some controversy about what happened, but ultimately the authorities figured it out. It was just these two boys and, um, some, and then they killed themselves. That was it. They, uh, they decided that they didn't want to get caught even after all their emotional pride and everything. They decided, oh, well, actually we want, we also want to disappear ourselves because, um, maybe we even kind of think evil is fun or funny or somehow rewarding and so maybe they are associated with satan or something that's how it all breaks down in my head that's pretty good and so what did they do these kids these two boys in the high school Oh, well, they formed a, a gang, which I think they called the Trenchcoat Mafia or something, and they tried to be, they tried to make a new form of cool and awaken the world to their pain and suffering and shoot up a bunch of people, right? That's, that's the idea, yeah. and then kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really nice tale you told there, Hoy. Well, thank you. It's, it's yeah. right out of the, you know, the Tavistock, psychological study plot book it's pretty close to the real one there's i'm just going to read it because there's interesting numbers okay uh columbine high school massacre was a school shooting that occurred april 20th 1999 at columbine high school in columbine an unincorporated area of jefferson county colorado in addition to the shootings the complex and highly planned attack involved a firebomb to divert firefighters, propane tanks converted to bombs placed in the cafeteria, tanks, they don't say how many, 99 explosive devices, and car bombs. The perpetrators, senior students Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, murdered 12 students and one teacher. They injured 21 additional people and three more were injured while attempting to escape the school. The pair subsequently committed suicide. <laughs> and so here's also the thing, what they're not saying. It, it might say lower down, but these boys had like three large gunny sacks apiece. So they had to go to their car and carry all this shit up to the cafeteria, up to and hide it in the, the school bushes. So they either they must have done it, I'm assuming, before school started or something. That's some people had speculated that. But why didn't people see him hauling around all this ammo and hiding it in bushes? And well, let's remember that even according to the official stories, this is kind of a pre 9/11 naive world where people don't really do horrible things in America, but maybe sometimes they do if they're brown and, and you know, have a beard or something, but maybe not. And I think since 1999, there has been almost nonstop psyopery going on. What did we have before that? We had the, um, the 93, you know, World Trade Center bombing, the Oklahoma City thing, 
you know, Unabomber stuff. It, there was there was the sense that, well, this is a bunch of crazy, maybe middle-aged guys that are kind of not belonging with the cool, you know, white patriarchy that <laughs> that is dominating. And Columbine is meant to infuse in us the idea that, no, actually... Now is beginning an era where anybody, even kids, can, you know, even white kids can be dissatisfied. And It's sad, our pre-9-11 naive. I remember that. I remember when this happened. I was like, whoa! And the last time we had a round of these murders was the whole Jonestown. There are a whole bunch of them, too. Not just Jones. There's a whole cluster of, you know, horrific killings that I'm now thinking might not be real either. <laughs> Yeah, we can look at the Jonestown one sometime in Heaven's Gate. There's some interesting parallels. I think, I mean, what the theme always seems to be us versus them or outsider versus insider, right? Psychologically, what we're talking about is the people that don't belong and how they wish they so could belong, but they can't because there's just something wrong with them. And as a result, they go crazy, blow themselves up kill a bunch of people you know remember going postal remember that going what happened do not do not postmen go postal anymore is that stopped i thought maybe yeah wasn't the last postal guy the the person mailing anthrax out to everyone right after 9-11 i don't remember if that was a post postal worker but anyway Mm -hmm. yeah you're right let's so what more do we have in this official story? Well, I think that's the general thing. And then I think just the witness testimony is probably better than this. Uh, you know, they're on medications, like you said. Oh, they had websites. I don't know, know if I mentioned oh, you medications, say. but that's a really oh. important point. Because what did we, we had an explosion of, of kids in the, in the 80s and 90s being prescribed antidepressants and really strong things like that. SRIs Mm -hmm. was supposedly not strong, but, you know, with mysterious side effects, untested side effects, um, things like Like that. Like you said, (laughs) I meant like depressed, you know, kind of out of it and needing then medication. So, okay. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Yeah. They were dark fellows. Yes. Cool. I should get points for, uh, rehashing the official story so well. (laughs) You got the feeling of it just right. Witness testimony. The names are interesting also. And I thought, I wondered how many of them are real students and how many of them aren't. Or could it have been two, whatever, two cops dressed up like these guys going and making some bangs and, you know, things like that with a pre-planted people who are going to die? Oh, like some kind of mixture of real and fake? I mean, for me... I feel like we haven't really established much about the background of this school or the background of uh, these people. At this point, uh, I mean, I just can't help but wonder, okay, right, a a big couple of towers in New York that, you know, okay, it's filled with brokers. They're kind of ambiguously immoral anyway is like sort of the the feeling but a bunch of young innocent uh, high schoolers 
kind of just trying to get by. There's enough drama in their life. They don't want to have to lie for anybody, lie for their parents. But hmm, there's something else. It, that, I don't know if that specific uh, juxtaposition holds up in my mind because we've now seen the Sandy Hook strangeness and people being moved around and told that there's horrible things going on very quickly and they people obey authority they want to save their own life they want to you know they have concern but it's kind of like wow there's so much going on they get distracted i wonder how many of the supposed victims are real and since there's only 12 you said and some injured and that makes me wonder if this was not a precursor to 9-11 and how they were going to, you know, measure the reactions of people that are meant to uphold a kind of modern myth. If we're not going to do on-the-ground research, which we're obviously not doing right now, all we have is the media's word on everything right now. We don't have a lot of columbine victim families parading around demanding columbine truth we don't have architects and engineers for columbine truth we don't have huntsmen for columbine truth (laughs) who would say what wow they were they wow how many people did they shoot with how many things you know and well we need teachers and educators how's that go again architects and engineers oh yeah so let's insert educators, educator. educators for Columbine truth. It just kind of fizzled. It was just accepted. It was shocking. And policy got implemented. Oh, in a big, expensive way, too. Yeah. And probably profitable for a certain uh, corner of industry. What was the law that happened because of Columbine? Oh, I didn't. I, I'm, I just said legislation because I'm imagining school legislation had to be written up about this. Like, I wasn't aware of any kind of let's force a bunch of children to uh, go to psycholo- psychologists or anything like that. But it kind of had the same effect. Right. I guess some gun bills also got passed after Columbine. There's always something. They use them, too. You know, if you look at the legislation when it gets passed, they use these as the reasons. Right, and as, you, and as you said, to this day, when when you said they're doing these new drills, they're saying, well, because of Columbine and other things, because Columbine is the one that sticks out in people's minds. Right, before we started recording, um, I was talking about a training I had recently been to at my high school, and what it was is local law enforcement are paying educators to sit in on this new kind of training, and... Uh, the new kind of training is for um, an active shooter training for high schools. They don't have it yet. It's not implemented, but they're starting to, and they see a big need. Even the um, the police officer who was giving the, the talk even referenced Pulse Nightclub. Because hmm. he's like, why the hell didn't they run out? Run out. Hmm. I mean, the mm-hmm. the shooter walked all over. The nightclub, and they're like, why aren't people running out? <laughs> Columbine, people were right next to the door and didn't run out. They get all, their hope is, right? Get all these educators, you pay them. I don't know how much I'm going to make, maybe $30 for sitting in an hour and a half, maybe. Mm. Get us interested in it, and then when it happens at our school, we support it. So it's the new stage, the new thing that's coming down the road for high school drills. 
and it's for the run. next drills. They also have planned, which will be you know terrifying. Okay. <laughs> like, how many drills? Right, another how you're going to handle drill? the next school shooting, which we faked. <laughs> right, God dang, man, terrify students when nothing's ever going to happen. Uh, it's called run, fight, hide. So number one, run. Just get the hell out of there. Don't wait. Don't sit there. Two, fight. If you can't run and you can't hide, fight them. And you fight them as a group. That's the idea. Wait, so, so aren't, they're not going to arm students? You arm students with, with books and desks. Okay. That's what we're arming students with. So, so that's what you do. So you, everyone is, uh, if the shooter's coming through the door, everyone get a, a desk or a chair and a book. And as soon as he opens the door, throw it at him. And that's it. You're fighting them, which I kind of like that. You know, <laughs> All right. it felt good actually. It's like, watch out, law enforcement. You're teaching us to work together. <laughs> you don't want that. And then hide, but hide is your last resort. Get the hell out, because if you're hidden, you can be found. And he says, if you're hidden, it's a, it's a, what is it? Reactionary. So don't be reactionary. You be the first one to react. Force the shooter to be reactionary. You just get the heck out of there. Hmm. And so, all right. So that's that's the new training because of Columbine. So I'm just. This is just a little side thing, but that's interesting to me because of what Ab said about something that happened at his daughter's school where there was supposedly some crazy little girl with knives running around. It just makes me think that there's a reason they choose schools where kids are already indoctrinated and kind of largely obedient to test certain psychological things. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Mm. Just a thought. And it could be, I mean, what what was the grade level at the school? You can't disarm a young girl with a knife. Well, that's what I was wondering. Is like, Come I, on, I, throw I, a book at her, for God's sake. The knife's coming out. Come on. She's not a pro football player mm-hmm. running for a touchdown. Come on. Right. And I think that was... I think that was one of his main questions, too, was why, how did she get away with this supposed crazy behavior with no one just, and everyone just, oh, hide, you know, <laughs> what? So anyway, it's a little odd. But this is a Canadian story that happened more recently, and I'm not sure. That's if that, the worst Canadians can do for their psyops. The girl with a knife, eh? She was running around scaring everybody. We had to close the school down. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was maple syrup everywhere. Everywhere, eh? <laughs> oh, dear. It's no, a nightmare. It's wrong. So anyway, let's get to the um, some of these witnesses. I'll ju- I'm just going to start reading some of these. They're interesting. Yeah, so um, yeah, go so ahead. So here, here's, here's what Simon JCP posts. The witnesses that supposedly saw more than two gunmen. One, Chris Wisher, sophomore... He turned and saw two guys carrying shotguns and wearing black trench coats. A third guy wearing a white t-shirt and jeans was seen throwing bombs onto the roof. Two, Jake Apodaca, sophomore. He was at the soccer field, heard firecrackers. He turned and saw two guys carrying shotguns, wearing black trench coats and black t-shirts. A third guy wearing a white t-shirt and jeans was seen throwing bombs onto the roof. Wait, I need, hold up. I need to get a paper and pencil to keep track. Hold on. Well, let's see here. (laughs) We've got, uh... This third guy so far is basically wearing a white right. T-shirt and jeans and throwing bombs on the roof. That's what we have from two witnesses. And a third witness now, Jonathan Cole, freshman, noticed two tall guys in black trench coats and then saw a third male wearing a white T-shirt and blue jeans. This person looked over to the other two suspects and yelled, go, go. 
William Arapkilles. I don't know. Arapkilles? What is that? A, a, right? Arapkilles? Freshman. He states that he was at the soccer field and heard firecrackers. He turned and saw three people near the west entrance. Two were wearing black trench coats and carrying guns. The third was wearing a white t-shirt and no visible gun. The person in the white t-shirt was pacing back and forth about five feet away from the two gunmen. So, as you go through all this, you start seeing some other interesting ones. For example, Natalie Baker, freshman, told her mother there were two other shooters besides Harris and Claybold. Jennifer Chindall, sophomore, sees two suspects, neither of which is Harris and Claybold. Ryan Ezzy, sophomore, saw four people outside with hats on backwards. He says he saw at least four parties dressed in black, standing calmly when others were running. <sighs> Jordan Grimm, according to Jordan's aunt, he saw Harris and Claybold and two others together outside school just before the incident began. Um, Daphne Baca had listed four names of possible suspects. Those names included Eric Harris, Dylan Claybold, Chris Morris, and Robert Perry. Uh, Trista Fogarty, freshman. Trista said she believes, as do most other students, that there were more than four people involved in the shooting. Dick Strange, it was, a pre- it was at approximately 11.45, note that adds up to 11 and 4 plus 5 is 9, that Strange first observed four to five individuals, all dressed in black trench coats, standing alongside Columbine High School in the vicinity of the gymnasium. Patrick Vassar, also freshman, sees also four to five individuals at around 11.15, dressed in black, walk away from the school, I don't know, 11.15 doesn't seem to add up to any sort of 9 or 11, so let's just dismiss the numerical shit mm-hmm. for now. Because I, I think that's really silly, and I, 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 I say those numbers with tongue firmly entrenched in cheek. Seth, but I think you're right. It, it's a media number. Isn't it a media calling card at least? Because they're uh, not really... They say, you know, that people who are into the numbers say that, oh, 9 or 11 appears a lot. Let's just say they do, but that that could mean anything because they could be turning real numbers into rounding them up or down or whatever. So I'm not sure how much, you know, numbers are good for people who are trying to explore this topic for the first time. And they go, huh, you're saying like number? What is that? No, I mean, you have to show them absolute contradictions, not just oddities. I agree. Anyway, it gets more and more. Um, cbsnews.com it uh, on April 19th 2001 they quote they the cops believed that they really had six to eight armed individuals inside there the one right before that says JSCO Vincent DeMana at 1135 Jeff Co Lieutenant Manwaring advised him there was as many as seven gunmen inside the cafeteria and commons area and it goes on and on so that that's pretty much it. I mean, you've got a it's kind of like 9/11 where you've got a wide range of well is this a large plane? Is this a small plane? Was there no plane? And people will say, well, witness testimony is notoriously notoriously unreliable, but their solve for that is but the media will figure it out for me or you know, the dominant story that took over the media and perhaps the most dominant conspiracy theory are the two like most likely things because people don't ever get fooled that badly you know that's kind of i think the message oh yeah 
And that policeman who was given the presentation, he believed it. And he's got training, and he couldn't see the holes in this story. I don't think they look, though. Well, a lot of, yeah, cops are, they act with each, they act like a gang. They act, they protect the information of the gang. So if their orders or their consensus is they're going to go with this story, they're not going to back down because cops are trained to understand that they are, it's them versus, you know, the evils of humanity, you know, the sin crawling through our brains that they have to stop. So I think that they get to this point where it doesn't matter even what's true or false. It's more like they have a position and they're going to stick by it. That's that's my understanding. Oh, I felt exactly the same way. Yeah, they're going to it's their position and you know what? They're going to protect good people from bad people and yeah, that yeah. just fits the paradigm. Why why question it even? Yes, I think that's true. The rest of this post is interesting. It just goes into something called the white t-shirt bomber. And it it starts explaining how there were a couple of publicized interviews of students uh, on April 1999 in which students claimed to have seen three suspects. The official report, which came out several months later, claimed that these people were confused because Eric Harris, both before and after had his trench coat on or off, and so he was confused as two different suspects. But then, if you look at the witnesses, they explicitly describe three or more people that they claim to have seen. So the summary says, there was a third accomplice, the white t-shirt bomber. That's the that's the summary of this article. And switching to this theory, instead of a two-shooter theory the number of anomalous testimonies falls from 11 to 4. So he's trying to say, well, Occam's razor shows that, yeah, there was probably a third evil kid. Of the 14 witnesses, four witnesses saw him simultaneously with Eric and Dylan, and three other witnesses saw him with one of the two shooters. So put in percents, the percent of people who saw no white t-shirt bomber, the number of reports that are strange is 73%, whereas with the white t-shirt bomber, the anomalous reports goes down to 28%. In other words, based on witness testimony that's been recorded here, it's more likely that there really was a third accomplice, so-called. Oh, okay, so there's people who saw the boys shoot and then people who just saw the boys. Yeah, that too. we got two groups. Is that what we're talking about? Do we? Well, we're also talking. I mean, we're talking about a lot of things. The the testimonies seem, as I as I just went over, run the gamut according to this compilation. So you've got people who witnessed the shooting, witnessed throwing bombs, people who witnessed maybe three of them, maybe two of them, maybe seven or eight, as as they supposedly estimate. Simon JCP simply concludes his post by saying. Now, with this knowledge, consider that officially, that that is the official authoritative definition of what happened, the shooting was carried out by two troubled teenagers who couldn't aim. That's the idea. Wow. Hey, and there's also a whole bunch of reports where the kids are saying um, it wasn't even Harris and Kleibold as seen in the media. They're saying it was different people altogether. Yeah, there were some people saying that it might not have been they About didn't five. they didn't see either of them or they saw one of them, but other some accomplice with them was not the uh the other. And it it seems I mean even if you're going by the official reports here, 
it seems pretty weird to say that there was just these two running around, uh, you know, causing all sorts of damage before killing each other or themselves. Did you ever watch that video of them? Three hours or something ridiculous? These boys are just sauntering around the school. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Three hours. Hmm. Really, yeah. you couldn't just have one cop kind of poke his head in what's going on in there. Well, that also has a kind of 9-11 theme to it, doesn't it? Like, well, where was the security? Oh, we couldn't. We weren't trained. We need more equipment. We need more aggression in the security forces. We need to be more ready. So it's really like injecting into the culture in a hard way. You need the security culture and you need the security industry and you need to start paying for it through the nose or this is what we're, we're going to do. You know, this is what's going to happen. It's it's a direct psychological threat to the culture. Mm-hmm. I believe so. It is. All right. That summary is pretty cool. So how many. So when it says no white T-shirt bomber, the anomalous reports were 73 percent out of 101. Well, look, it says that there's that these witnesses are on pages. I think 101 is who reported specifically at least three or more shooters or some anomalous thing. So in the entire body of witnesses, which may have been in uh, the couple hundreds or more, based on the, this Columbine report. Gotcha. Um, well, it that, could be every I think student. That's the percentage that they're going through. Right, 1,500. I mean, that's an average, a 1,000 at least. I yeah, guess, I wonder right? if they managed, you know, I wonder if they managed to get everyone. I mean, supposedly everyone in school was aware and there wasn't anyone who was just like wandering away as they were, as they were like, you know, firecrackers going off or what have you. Right. It is funny that the immediately, the immediately next following post is a comparison of the matrix trench coat or black, all black outfits and Columbine and that the Columbine massacre occurred April 20th, 1999, that's just a few weeks after the release of The Matrix, March 31st, 1999. And it almost seems to be, again, a psychological nod to the idea that some people will awaken to this or that there's some kind of benevolent layer to this awful propaganda lie that traumatized a lot of people. Mm. Or something else like, oh, we're waking you up here. You know, it's it's a deliberate homage. I guess um, the people who buy into the official story are supposed to say, oh, they were inspired by the coolness of the Matrix or they were inspired or perhaps Matrix and these uh, supposedly disturbed teens, you know, are inspired by similar um, rebellion, thoughts of rebellion or thoughts of outsiderness. Yeah. You know, another weird thing, um, I'm remembering back to your, um, to the, the trainer guy, what he said about Columbine. Mm. Um, he said the ambulances couldn't leave because the road was filled with parents coming to pick up their kids. So it was jammed, so the ambulance couldn't get out. Mm. So they had to bring in a helicopter to remove the injured. I wanted to look that up, see if that was true. And like, you can't drive on the grass. A school's all grass. Hmm. Just drive on the grass. Go around the road. Look it up and see if it was true or look it up and see what the claims of truth are. (laughs) Right. Because 
certainly law enforcement has, you know, they see it through their lens, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, what their debrief was on Columbine. Wouldn't that, it could be completely different than our debrief. Right. I mean, which is reading Wikipedia. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I mean, that's what, right. Or watching Comedy Central or um, yeah. watching whatever favorite so-called intellectual or so-called uh, witty news program, you know, that's kind of like, hey, we have, we've have we got cool banter here. We're Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper. We're not the average reporter. We've got some edge to us, but it's all just marketing. It's all just the same bullshit. Same. Same old bullshit. Now, Jazza, immediately after that post, comments that um, the... Morpheus character wearing a trench coat is actually from the second Matrix movie. So do we have Columbine inspired by the Matrix and then Matrix re-inspired by Columbine or something else? In any case, these two stories, right, the Matrix trilogy or whatever and Columbine exist in the same culture. It's very much two cultural things. And yet some people buy Columbine as real and they know the matrix is fake they know the matrix is just a movie it's just a production yeah how do you know i mean do those names look real to you could they be sims oh that's a good question Kristen long rusty schuyler i suppose you know i we don't have something like the cnn um victim list for columbine where they actually put it in a specific order that is blatantly artificial with um, hints that the order actually has to do with the way the names like were produced. We don't have that for this incident. So, you know, with such a small sample, it'd be hard to say we don't have the, the ongoing nine 11 drama fairy tales of the family members, you know, walking around with pictures of their loved ones begging for money. It's kind of, um, it's a different situation, so I'm not sure if if we can even if we can guess. But some name expert might be able to check that out and say, wait, why is this, you know, why is this the same last name I'm familiar with, but there's no e, or they swapped out a letter, or sometimes that appears in in I would say like CIA type fake names. Oh, really? Yeah, it seems like they take a real name that people are familiar with, but they keep it in a in the family, so to speak, like mob style. It's kind of like, well, if your last name is Harris, just as an example, their version of it might be Harrist with a T. And, it, it, you know, you, you only see that name very rarely, but they have control of it for whatever reason, either because, you know, it was, it's been fake for hundreds of years and they just know that, um, as I'm sure there are some last names that are just invented, or it's uh, something that they can sort of sneak in and it's culturally familiar, so it sinks into your imagination, but it's just odd enough that you're like, oh, well, that's not my Harris, you know, the Harris that I know. So it's unrelated, but it's plausible as a last name. These are all really complex speculations and so out there that I don't know if it, like, like I warned earlier at, at the start, um, I think it's better to focus on the supposed evidence. Yes, there you go. Which is uh, conflicting reports on that. So where do you go now? Oh, this is nice. I like um, 
Simon JCP. Is he still at the Clues Forum? Simon JCP appears once in a while. I believe um, they uh, they are in many places on the web. I think you can find their research. It's good. It's very interesting. It's always mm-hmm. a good compilation of reading to get started on a topic. And I think if the <clears throat> excuse me, I think if the media wanted to improve their their summary for people, they would they would look at a number of things, including Simon JCP's work at, well, here's some, you know, hucksterism going on here. Here's some maybe uh, religious influence on a story. I think he's the one that speculates about Jesuit types, Freemason types. I'm not sure, but... Well, his post on June 18th, 2010, according to Donna Taylor, the mother of one of the alleged wounded, the school's principal... Frank DeAngelis was friends with Bill Clinton. <laughs> That's bonus right there. Whoa, here we go. And Bill Clinton was connected to the 93 World Trade Center bombing. I mean, as long as we're just pointing out connections here. Mm-hmm. And was, I think, also connected in our research to um, the continuation of Truman's World Command effort to put a military base in like every country on the planet based on the u.s military so it's interesting that yeah bill clinton and that gosh what a corrupt family i i, I must say that the clintons and bushes and all of them have been this awful shadow overhanging our so-called democracy for the last what it must be 70 years or more now oh right but i i have a feeling you know as much as i want to hate hillary for what she's doing and down there in Haiti and, you know, for Bush and all this warmongering. But I think every it's the system. We're just pointing out individuals, but the system is exactly what they're doing. They are this they're representative of the system. True. And here is where I think what you can read now online in huge debates that Trump is bringing up, you really get down to the crux of something that I think we, we should be discussing, which is that. There is a kind of a leftist leaning thing that says, well, you do want to point out specific corrupt individuals in the system because the system is flawed, but it's the best thing we have and we have to keep trying to make agreements to make it work. Whereas you have this other side of the spectrum, which is saying, you know what, the system is so corrupt and uh, so imperfect, or rather, how do you, so dystopian that actually the only thing you can hope to have is someone that will slowly dismantle it or collapse the system so that we can start on something else. Mm-hmm. I I personally think I might be uh, a little bit on the quote-unquote leftist spectrum because when I say this person is bad or this or this person has done their position poorly, it, it I really am implying that, yeah, we could have someone there that is doing it better. On the other hand... I totally acknowledge the quote, right, unquote, perspective that the system may be inherently flawed and, uh, you know, statism itself is the problem. I can see both sides. I can see that we've got an ideal project and or a project to build this utopia and at the same time that it's kind of futile, but maybe the effort is worthwhile, but maybe not. Um, yeah, that's that's... One way to think about it. 
You know, I have some personal experience with bullies like governments. I think they're just big. I hate the word bully, but I mean, they are. They're using their power to force us to behave in a way we wouldn't otherwise behave. And I grew up, just a little backstory on Kay. I had three brothers and it was me. And as we got older, my parents, you know, they did their thing and they kind of left us to ourselves. And my brothers, oh, my God, they're taunting they used to taunt me constantly, but it wasn't too long. I'm sorry you know, to hear that. Was, that sucks. It does, but whatever. But I learned how to ignore them and understand that their taunting is just words. Mm-hmm. And it, it only has the power that I give it. Right. And at a very young age, I decided not to give it any power. It was so empowering. They would sit there and, you know, yell things and be mad. And I'd just kind of be giggling. It's like, I'm not giving in. I'm mm-hmm. just going to completely ignore you. And and I'll tell you what, it stopped. And they never did it again. But it took me to ignore them first and take away my power, you know, not let them do that. But I think this like the government. The reason I brought that up, um, I, I think the only thing we can do is ignore it. Mm, I think that's a powerful action, absolutely. And one argument that you can almost see in favor of that is the Trump election, so-called election. Because I think most of all, and I don't want to get too into the party politics as usual discussion, really, and I'm sure you are sick of it as, as much as I am, but Trump has been really good at getting people re-engaged in government, it's it's like reigniting people's uh, faith in the project to build a perfect government, right? It's got, on the one hand, you've got the people who think they've got our man Trump in there fighting, you know, against the bad fake news, which they can't really define and they don't seem to um, credit any real researchers on it. And, um, you know, dismantling the supposedly bad, big bad government while actually <laughs> enforcing it in in the most uh, corporate way imaginable and then you have the the people who are so uh butthurt about Hillary losing and that they're completely blind to the idea that Hillary and Trump are basically you know two sides of the same coin and everyone's engaged in this discussion and talking about it but it's yeah it's interesting it's really interesting to see there there doesn't seem to be quite enough people taking a step back and going wow wait a minute this is a circus this is a casino and that is a system in and of itself that we might want to you know leave behind (laughs) yeah i could do that right it depends, though. I mean, uh, ignore it is so that it benefits you. That's how you do that. If it doesn't benefit you, then don't ignore it. Mm. What do you th- do? You, do you think? Do you agree with me or disagree that Trump has been really excellent to re-engage people from all political spectrums in the project of government? Yeah, the election kind of just roped everyone back in again, like my brother. He was he had fallen for several world ending scenarios. Remember Y2K in the year mm-hmm. 2000 and the Dyson Sphere, a bunch of that stuff. The Dyson Sphere. Oh, my gosh. 
Star Trek yeah. reference in a way. <laughs> right, it's on. coming. Get on board, folks. No, but it's funny because that uh, anyway, the the fictionalized version of it is itself like an abstraction from an already possibly fictional thing. I know. <laughs> so many layers. So many layers of uh, fantasy we have in our discussions. But anyway. Oh yeah, lots of fantasy. The, that's what our government deals with best. So that's kind of what we're dealing with, right? Exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's it's, it's it hooks me in. I I get dramatically drawn in because then I think, well, wait a minute. I've been reading from my perspective all these people's perspective on it, and I think, well, here's a suggestion I could have to to quote unquote save government, you know. And then I think, wait a minute. I'm just I'm getting drawn in. I'm getting drawn into this maybe futile thing. Oh, isn't that sad? You want to save everybody? That's sweet. It is. But not everybody wants to be saved. So I think we're doing here what we can do. We're doing a good job. People who are ready for this transition, you know, they're ready to hear us. And if they're not, maybe they'll come back when they are. That's the good thing about putting this on audio. Hey, that's a good thought. That's nice of you to say. I think you want to save people, too. But come on. We don't want to save people that don't want to be saved. And now we're right. talking almost like evangelists here. <laughs> Well, it is. It's a mental saving. I mean, the the relief that I have inside knowing that 40,000 people didn't die in the World Trade Center bombings and destruction of those two giant office buildings and the, you know, cities in the sky, that didn't happen, you know? I can relax. Oh, it feels good to know that that kind of evil really doesn't exist in the world. A different kind does, but just right. not that kind. That's that's a good point. The the evil that is done perhaps is oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. We don't have to discuss what um you know our ideas about what actually happened in our in our so-called evidences for that, but Yes, it's it's a about hundreds, let's say hundreds of hours of research. So, yeah, I could would not expect someone who hadn't done my level 2 to agree with me it's it's a hard thing to accept well it's a hard thing to yeah peer into as well Mm -hmm. it's it's really hard to examine our notions of good and evil I, i think as we get older we often tend to broaden our understandings of what those things could mean we we might be less black and white in our thinking maybe i mean everything you're saying is true but they scare us with the wall of tears Mm, yeah, yeah. The Wall of Tears is a really powerful tool that, you know, don't examine this because you're you're dishonoring uh, victimhood and you're victim blaming and other um, social justice worker language, which I respect in a great way. But um, but I'm just saying, you know, it's it's a it's political correctness, social justice worker language and conservative pundit language are all. <clears throat> tied up in a drama, dichotomous drama, versus you versus me, us versus them. And, and who's uh, spouting this drama? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I suppose the opinion leaders from each camp. And what are we but kind of, I guess when, it, when so lately I've been thinking, yeah, we want to help people, but we are not those opinion leaders. We're more like we're more like the uh, hecklers or opinion sideliners that uh, we're, we're like more like art critics 
We're more like saying, oh, <laughs> our critics. <laughs> yeah. We're more like saying, oh, the way it's in true. Wh- the way in which you said that was co- compelling to me in the following ways and not compelling to me in the following ways. And they're like, fuck you. We're in a war. But we're like, no, I think that we can actually, you know, stand on the side and point out these things. But a lot of people are caught up right in it. You know, we appear as uh, almost as bad as whichever enemy they are fighting because we're so gray area. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) They don't like us. (laughs) Like, especially the Trump people. When I start talking fakery, my brother just drives him crazy. Hey, you know, he won't talk fakery now because he likes Trump. (laughs) He won't talk media fakery with me anymore. Mm -hmm. He's decided to believe in the media again because of Trump. It's a powerful image they've crafted. It's I, I, I keep going back to the Neil Postman thing where it's like, yeah, Trump is whatever you want him to be. And because of that, he can he can kind of do no wrong. He is a symbol of something different that will magically transmute or um, alchemically transform, you know, America into greatness as, as it crumbles. As <laughs> it's fallen away. But I don't know. You won't know it. That's that's um, that's pretty alarmist language in and of itself. So I don't know. To me, it's it's interesting to see the dialogue. So far, I haven't really noticed much change i really i mean i've noticed a lot of people getting really mad and really engaged in debate but so far it's business as usual i think you have your tv watchers and your nightly news watchers and your non-nightly news watchers i think it's these two groups and for the people who don't watch the nightly news they're a lot happier but the people who are they're just confused they don't understand what's going on they just know they got to protect themselves against trump or they just know they have to protect themselves against the anti-Trumpers, right? The anti-Trumpers, whoever they might be. Those protesters, why are they protesting? What's wrong with them? Yeah, why are they so upset? <laughs> Don't we were they upset. know Trump's going to save them? <laughs> <laughs> we were upset, but now we're not. So now it's their turn to be upset. Like, <laughs> that's kind of some, some, that's about as deep as some people go. Anyway, so, um, yeah. So tell tell me more about this post with um, the the allegedly wounded principal who's friends with Bill Clinton. All right. Connections like that might make it easier for you to get government grants for security extras. Plus, we know that Columbine High was in the heart of the military intelligence defense community. Ah, that's what I was looking for. I asked that question a few posts up. I was like, do we know if this is was was this taking place in a safe city? You know, where it's all like CIA, ex-Air Force, and they know that it's kind of a vetted community. I wonder, I've wondered about that. Right. (laughs) They got everything right there. They probably overdid it. Here's what I'm thinking. What they learned from Columbine is they they went way overboard. (laughs) They don't need to do so much to still have a cool psyop. Right. People fall for a lot less than this now. Yeah, right? They don't need to go so crazy with these boys. Sandy Hook was kind of like that. They had bare bones, man. It yeah, worked. But it worked. It? Yeah, it worked for like, what, 95% of the population until people were going, oh, wait a minute. Uh, there, there's kind of some funny things about this. Right, the rest of this um, post. I mean, oh, it's I about cameras. Yeah. Yeah. 
There are, however, issues surrounding the cameras. On page one well, well, of the FBI report, we were it's one six seven two. One six two seven. One six two seven. Ah, I do dyslexic things like that. I hate that. <laughs> uh, we're told that Columbine had surveillance cameras in its library. Here we are told that on April 23rd, the existence of a surveillance system in the library was acknowledged by investigators. However, when we read on, we discover that the story changed on April 24th. There was no surveillance camera in the library, according to police. Check, check, hello. Hello. 
Oh, so that's the FBI group then that put together, I'm assuming, the document from which this post is being. All right, so the task force maintained, based on their source, that there was video surveillance in the library and that this was covered up. One witness, a woman named Sydney Keating, talked about cameras that show a view of the outside of the library. She reported these to the authorities. The section of the Columbine report relating to her story can be found here. Uh, the original Other- the original image was lost, but I think it links to the, the Columbine Research Task Force forum. Uh, but let's move on. Other cameras were inoperative that day. The planting of the large bombs in the cafeteria, those were the... Um, the ones in the gas tanks. Oh, okay. Uh, wasn't caught on film because the film just happened to be switched by a custodian while they were planning the device. <laughs> that is funny. I, so I guess CRTF, Columbine Research Task Force, they're compiling evidence and writing about it. And I, I'm not sure exactly if this is FBI or not, but I guess that's always actually a good awareness to go into a forum with, you know. Is this a legitimate grassroots forum, or is it run by intelligence? Oh, yeah. But that's some good info. Wow. Oh, he answers my question. I, I wrote, was this a private school? Is it near a military safe city or something like that? He replies, it was in the heart of one. Yeah. In addition to having a notoriously corrupt police department that reportedly housed the FBI's counterintelligence division, they are also home to Lockheed Martin, which happens to be the largest employer in the area. Oh, wow. Damn. Bill Zabel, a researcher who was down there to investigate, tells us, Also, I have been told that the entire Columbine area is what is called a safe community. That's exactly what I was talking about. By the U.S. military and the CIA, NSA, DIA, etc. If you haven't heard of the DIA, I guess that's the um, Defense Intelligence Agency. This kind of community is created specifically for former and retired members of the U.S. intelligence community. Now, not all people living there are ex-intel, but most are, and every other family I talk to admits that the father or mother, and in some cases both, were ONI, G2, OSI, etc., There are also people in the community that were involved in the Denver International Airport land deals. Total corruption there, period. The community is also home to, that's the end quote from um, a Yahoo link, which you should check out at the forum. The community is also home to a notoriously corrupt police department that houses the offices of FBI intelligence, a Comcast division that houses NSA offices, and of course Lockheed Martin. It's one of the flagships, if not the flagship, of the military-industrial complex and is not at all separate from military-slash-intelligence-covert operations. No, of course not, because once you're you're contracted by the U.S. military, they are all up in you, right? They are controlling you. They're controlling every part that you manufacture, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Same thing with my husband as an engineer at Boeing. Oh, yeah. Whenever they deal with them, they're all up in everything. Wow. Now, what was the date of that post you're reading from, Hoy? Let's see. That'd be June 18th, 2010. Oh, that was an active day. Yeah, Simon was on a roll. He must have had been. He must have been researching this. He titles this next post, Columbine Video Fakery. The, quote, cafeteria footage, unquote, can be found here and is used as evidence that Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold acted alone in carrying out the shooting. There's a link to a YouTube video. 
Gosh, I wonder if that's been removed by now. Let's click on it. This video has been removed for violating YouTube's policy on harmful or dangerous content. What a surprise. Uh, CRTF reports on one expert who recognized the footage as fake when they saw it. They explain the reasons for this stance. Quote, Please note the following comments made by a Denver researcher. This is my professional opinion, having worked in film and video for years, that the video has been fooled around with. If you look at the stills, they are in blue, but the CCTV camera in the cafeteria is black and white. Now, for the reason you use a blue haze on a black and white film or still is simple. Blue haze put over a black and white frame will cast shadows on the subjects in the frame, thereby clouding the clarity of the video frame. Now, why would you do that? Simple. So that you can't see clearly the faces of the people in the frame. I should know, I do this on feature films when I'm doing lighting, to cast shadows on the actors' faces to make them seem mysterious. I'm not sure if I fully understand that argument. As a somewhat professional video tinkerer myself, the color shouldn't matter exactly. It's just the fact that you're modifying something from its original, don't you think? Or is there something specific about blue that they're referring to? That is interesting. Maybe just Google it. Let's take a look. Because now that you say that, the blue is a big deal. And how do you make shadows when they, does it do like a, a line between black and white? Is that what's going on? The blue somehow messes with that? I have how to add vintage haze effect to your photos. Hmm. I have this, I have the sense that blue is not the, like the operative word, but adding the haze is the important point. Which makes sense, although I hope you'll I hope you'll appreciate that after Simon and I have looked at every single Vixen picture for 9/11, we found a, st a strange amount of them with uh, a blue filter on them. They simply took a picture that was originally some other color and just changed it to monochromatic blue. I don't know why that happened. Uh, maybe there's some other research that can be done on that. But it's interesting to note that it is something that happens in apparently these intelligence-produced stories. In any case, wow. we're not going to go into really? that Really? Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting factoid, though. Yeah, I'm not sure what, what it means, but it's um, perhaps someone would like to know and look into it. <laughs> and you should let us know. Bill Zabel offers his expertise on the subject. He states that the video is a fake as well. Are you saying that they doctored the footage? Asks the interviewer. That's my professional opinion because I was trained in film and video post-production. And if you blow that up on an avid workstation, you can see little pixels around Harris and Klebold. As they move in slow motion, you can see those pixels changing color, which they should not if they are in that frame originally recorded as they were walking around in the cafeteria. You talk to any video expert, uh, in fact, I tell people, go find your own expert, take the footage, and let them look at it. I guarantee they'll come to the same conclusion. So who faked it? Well, Sheriff John Stone gives us the answer, says Simon JCP, our resident researcher. Quote, Stone also said a videotape from a surveillance camera in the school cafeteria was being examined. Quote, from what I, un quote within a quote, from what I understood from our investigators, close quote within a quote, Stone told reporters, quote, within a quote, there is graphic information on there, and it was being sent to Washington, D.C., to the FBI lab to have this tape enhanced, close quotes. 
So again, it's we got this thing where the FBI, just like 9/11, is taking the videos and confiscating them, and now they're saying enhancing them, which is interesting. Nah, that's what they do in those forensic shows. Enhance video, enhance, and then it gets bigger and more clear. <laughs> you know that trick? <laughs> enhance. That doesn't exist. That's what I'm, my point is. Enhancing, like they're saying. Right. Just like the airplane, like once you enhance a computer animated New York, airplanes start to appear in the pixels. It's kind of odd. <laughs> Go in, you'll see. Yeah. Maybe New York is just made of airplanes. I'm not sure, but. They're everywhere. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just teasing. But in, in reality, I mean, the, the 9-11 footage is totally uh, doctored and faked. You can find ample evidence of this. I suggest if you doubt, you go to SeptemberClues.info and just take a look for yourself. Or, better yet, spend some time looking at the archives, the official archives. And you may notice some pretty weird things going on. Moving on, back to the topic. I think the next post is... So another relevant post is by me right after it. I'll just go ahead and read it if you don't mind. Yeah, you can be yourself. That's that's okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll try to read it in the tone like that I was me. thinking. Jeffy, no. Yeah, in the tone you... <laughs> oh, yeah, I could try to read it like <laughs> K-Ham. This is my impersonation of K-Ham reading Hoi Polloi. No, here we go. F. Benario asked... Given our questions about so many other famous incidents of the last 50 years, I still have to ask, was Columbine real? Did anyone die? Did anyone die at Virginia Tech? I reply, my curiosity exactly, F. Benario. I created this topic out of an interest to pursue that question. So far, what we've gathered from Simon JCP is a host of fascinating information about cover-ups within cover-ups. But I personally haven't found an entry point to this story that I find quite believable yet. Thanks, Simon JCP, for collecting all this info and posting it here. It is definitely a good summary of what's going on within the conspiracy theory circles of the Columbine investigation. One of my biggest concerns is the use of MKUltra hypnotism to make people act in accordance with direct instruction, like mind-controlled zombies. This was the, I presume, deliberate rumor circulated about both Columbine and the Virginia Tech incidents. What doesn't sit right with me about the MK Ultra explanation is that it presumes any given news story or conspiracy theory story coming out of these events, if they were events, positions us as more informed than before. We don't know if all of these stories' intentions are so admirable. Perhaps, like the false Al-Qaeda stories, they are various threads of a single story weaver who has developed the entire thing to net our minds within a false reality. Pages upon pages of witness testimony no longer phase me, given the extreme amounts of diarrhea exuded by the news over 9-11, and the third shooter, or up to ten shooters, are not compelling enough stories to get me reinvested in the news media's lying habits and adherence to fictional scripts, no doubt developed in private meetings with top brass individuals. In an ideal world, I'd like to start with the question, does the school Columbine exist? If so, where? What is its relationship to the self-declared elite's Goddess of America, Columbia, you know, because there's a relationship between Columbine and Columbia. And how much does any symbolic significance indicate a novelistic, fabricated quality in the entire story? If the school does exist, might it have been selected for this symbolic significance? Or some other, you know, culture that's just coincidental with 
the symbolic significance of the name. If that's just as likely as a random school in the USA, what factors are involved that cause this story to take place specifically at Columbine? I guess that's a pretty pointless post because it just summarizes what is already kind of going through my head still to this day, but yeah, maybe we can skip that one. I don't know. Oh, that was good. Do you know, I, I as I'm reading through the um, this post, I notice the hysteria about the trench coat thing, which it's a little bit here, but remember back to history? You know, they they made it illegal to wear trench coats in school after this. I remember dress codes being uh, more important than kids were like self-expressing and wearing interesting things, kind of dresses, skirts, wings. And, and there were still some people doing that, but trench coats specifically were targeted. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, was this, um, was the trench coat thing before these kids? Did they pick up on something or was this their little own group? That's a good question. That always runs through my mind when I wonder why these sides might happen. My guess is these intelligence groups operate on rumor, hearsay, and fear. So if some agent says, ooh, I could, you know, talk up the security industry and and um, appear aware in my position as an intelligence operative – I can recommend to this to my you know my superiors that ooh here's a a place for a potential um, increase in security and so th- yeah they do see somebody wearing a trench coat and they you know they steal a packet of chips or something from the store and they see that as ah okay so let's turn that into uh, they're hiding guns they're hiding bullets they're hiding dynamite you know and. That, that's how I imagine their imagination works. It's not exactly that it's inspired by reality. It's more just their paranoid pro-military industrial complex attitude biases them towards stories of that, that they want to spin into, you know, let's make everyone as paranoid and insecure as we are. Yeah, they do a good job of that. Cause this is scary. We, we all then, I mean, people, I remember people who were wearing trench coats kind of stopped because they didn't want to be associated with this murders anyway before we kind of came down with the rule. <laughs> but it's weird. It's the social engineering here. I, You see it happening. I mean, we even have Columbine has affected schools in so many ways. It's crazy because the, one of the first victims on the wiki page is Rachel Scott. Mm. And her first it was her brother. He went around for like 5 years doing high school and middle school assemblies. Yeah. And then at the assembly, I think it, I talked about this before. You had to at the end of it, so the whole assembly was about Rachel Scott and the last thing she wrote in her journal is um something like there's a kid and no one's sitting with him. I'm going to go sit with him and be his friend. And so this whole thing at the school assembly is you have to write on a, the poster that has Rachel Scott's name on it. I'm going to be a friend to those lonely people. Right. Which is probably good. But And then we make a chain out of paper. And Ugh. Every student puts their name on a link and we link it up. And this big paper chain goes all around 
the lunchroom. Oh, gee, it's it's kind of cheesy, but I mean, this that is kind of the nature of building community in schools. But it does it does have a dark and uh, twisted kind of air to it these days. What with the let's involve the children in awareness of the hypersecurity culture and stuff. It's odd, very odd. Yeah, and it's sad because I mean that's the mind control right there. That, and that is also the po- the entry point for children to feel a stronger belonging to the state than to their own families. Your family can't really protect you from anything, but these people all dressed up to the nines in uh, <laughs> security outfits. They can. But did you uh, see how many shots these kids got off? I mean, it's like Rachel Scott uh, killed by shots to the head, torso, leg, alongside the west entrance of the school. Richard Castaldo shot in the arm, chest, back, abdomen, west side of entrance. Donald Rohrborg, Rohrbo, fatally injured by shots to the abdomen and leg. Shot through the upper chest at the base of the same staircase. Sean Graves shot in the back, foot, abdomen. I mean, what? Lance Kirkland critically injured by shots to the leg, neck, and jaw. How they, these guys are real, they aim really good. Yeah, they're almost as good as that guy at Port Arthur who, <laughs> the mentally uh, challenged fellow who just got like expert shots off with, with every victim. Yeah, it's 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 one of these things. Yeah, it makes you wonder how is it that these kids are such good shots. Anyhow, uh, we're meant to believe that maybe because they played Doom, you know, that that somehow that made them uh, really really curious about real life firearms. Maybe. But you, if you see the video, the way they're shooting those guns, they're spraying them in hmm. in the video. Right. So it's like how now how how they such good targets now when it's time to kill but when it's just I don't know. That's why I have the sense really that this was a Hollywood production. It 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 to me it feels like well, we actually have video for you and here's the kind of grainy video which shows our evidence, but the more important story is all this all the paperwork and the post event media coverage just like 9/11. And all they need is like some scrappy, somewhat plausible video, which could have been done in Hollywood or anywhere. And that is the basis for everything else. And you can't really question that because that questions the entire premise of the discussion. And here we are questioning it. So, mm-hmm. um, about your MK Ultra comment, I think the funny thing is the. The MK Ultra isn't on the two shooters. It's on the high school students <laughs> who have to be conditioned to accept violence in their life when there really isn't any. Yeah, if it really is in this military safe city where they're raised in a culture already of violence and uh, espionage and just the worst kind of insecurities on earth, it's interesting to think that um, yeah, there might be almost a kind of parental feeling to this um, this drama that they're wrapped up in. I, I can't help but wonder if some of them aren't lying based on kind of trauma that has been instilled in them based on 
research from MK Ultra or other research that was done on people to get them to comply with things by kind of scaring them into a situation. I, I don't think it's the same as overt threats or victims, victims of sexual abuse. I think it's more like uh, like military. It's like, we're on your side, but you got to do this, you know? And if you don't, you might die and we might, we might be the ones killing you. But, but, but we love you. And, we love you. <laughs> right. And that's what it feels like to me. Simon JCP actually comments on that, that point too. And then on the next page, he says, one of the reasons why the involvement of mind control projects is usually suspected, he says pass in the passive voice, is because of the connections between the patsies. Or if this line of question takes us to the conclusion, simads, as in simulated baddies, and military slash intelligence. Rare is it that the accused didn't undergo training by the military or have a federal military intelligence defense operative in their immediate family. I mean, Kay, let's face it, in a so-called safe city, that is the very you know, premise of the city, is that they all are military families of some sort. Right? They're all mil- the All those kids should have probably understood firearms, you would think, right? You would think, or yeah. at least have been developed some kind of emotional relationship to them through their parents, if not directly with, you know, maybe protective parents wanted to teach them about firearms. It's, it's interesting that that didn't really penetrate the media stories. We didn't really get a lot of, this was a unique community for this to happen because of, you know, the military background of the whole fucking place. Why didn't we get that? Why didn't we get that sort of investigation but instead it's like just an average school that this could happen at and anyone is in danger of this you know psycho mad mad kid with a gun mad kid mad kids <laughs> right mad, mad young kids. adults trained in the military yeah. <laughs> or sons of sons of the military industrial complex yeah, it's odd very odd to me, it just doesn't feel investigated. Right. Yeah, those guys should be calling, asking, what? How'd those kids get all that stuff there? Where'd they hide it? How'd they hide all that from their parents? You know, parents just, they walk into their kid's bedroom without asking, you know. <laughs> Let's say, like, I guess if they were planning this, they could have, like, a stash in the woods. That could be. Well, in the official story, it says... The Air Force is deeply involved in mind control projects, according to Eric Harris, one of the so-called shooters, his Air Force controller, quote-unquote, and Harris himself. This little segment from think-aboutit.com says, Two of these recent communications to us, in fact, pinpoint a particular Air Force base which has already been heavily outed by us in our articles. The articles, The Rocky Mountain Horror Show and Putting the Columbine Puzzle Together. On the Columbine High School massacre on April 20th, this corroborates information from other widely divergent sources regarding bizarre covert activities at this location. The location we refer to is Plattsburgh Air Force Base in northeastern New York State, roughly 80 miles south of the Canadian border. Beneath the Plattsburgh base is a vast 18-level deep subterranean facility. Eric Harris, whose father has been linked to covert Air Force intelligence projects going back nearly 20 years lived with his family at 
Plattsburgh Air Force Base for over four years right before moving to Littleton. Wow. That's weird. I didn't know that. It's pretty odd. I mean, Jeez, is, this, is this true? Isn't, I mean, if this is if this is true, this is pretty damning of the whole situation itself. Well, we we took him to be an ignored kid, right? Mm, By yeah, his parents just, and just kind an of just kid. not just an ignored military brat, but that's not ignored. If if your parent is high military, I can guarantee your family's trained. Mm-hmm. I because the the cop last night at our um, active shooter. They're, you know what they call, they're calling it an active shooter drill, actually. But what it is, it's not like, for high schools, it just means like fire drill. Okay, so the principal called it an active shooter drill. So I showed up going, what the heck's this gonna be? And it was just, it's just the next phase in school drills. So it's not the, the one we see like where the military is involved and stuff, but. Um, I said that because the, the cop, as the policeman, as he was given his presentation, he said openly, my kids can handle a gun. My wife can handle a gun. We all know safety. We all know where to go, how to do his. He goes, my family's trained up because these guys are taught to be on guard constantly. Yeah, it is the paranoid insecurity culture. Absolutely. Wow. I st- I'm still trying to put together. He's got that connection. Well, he, um, he also responds to, you know, my my doubts and skepticism. And I think he makes some fair points. He says, while you may be correct about a SIM explanation here, the documents I referred to came from the documents released by the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. The only quote unquote media witnesses were the ones who were interviewed in the immediate aftermath by local news. And as to my doubt about Columbine's existence, he again reasserts, it does exist in a military intelligence defense safe community in unincorporated Jefferson County. It's also built on an ancient sacrificial ground. And after Columbine, a a Wiccan symbol was built in the school during the reconstruction, a, quote, grove of trees, unquote. And I say... uh, (laughs) I gotta ask about that. Go ahead. Yeah. And then I say, interesting stuff. I may have to just take a visit there myself one day to satisfy my curiosity and experience the full creepiness factor. For now, for now, I will allow your narrative to stand as a testament to the amount of time you've spent on this already. I appreciate the point that the police document is not the media. I would only try to remind us that all the police and fire departments of New York didn't seem to have much of a problem staying on script with the media's fictional version of 9-11 events. In any case, let's consider that the backstopping they're giving for many of the sims in that narrative are also military and safe city in nature and this doesn't make it necessarily easier to believe nor easier to investigate in person but yeah you're right <laughs> a grove of trees what what is that columbia is a goddess sacrifice goddess of america columbia self-declared Ill- yeah that's kind of stuff and Maybe it appeals to some people. Columbia, goddess of America, it seems few Americans are aware of. Have you heard of it? Yes, that's what I was referring to. As a quasi-mythical figure, Columbia first appears in the poetry of Phyllis Wheatley starting in 1776. I have my doubts that Phyllis Wheatley... I did a report on Phyllis Wheatley before. I have my doubts that that she is the first person to introduce Columbia, even though I think she was a, a really good writer. It, it feels more occult 
I mean, I'm not sure if she was into the occult, but based kind of on Christopher Columbus and white culture coming to um, the American continent and needing some kind of, you know, rallying symbol. And they need to create a sort of a new age deity that that they would um, uh, make some kind of rituals, some Gnostic or like Masonic rituals around. To me, that's what it feels like. Yeah, I'm not sure elites dig that too much, but we're told they do. So that's the important part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'd think that it might just be a culture that they're in, not necessarily something they adhere to. Yes. Wow. Military intelligence defense safety zone. Jeez. Um, so your quote here, Hoy, what you ended with, in any case, let's consider the backstopping they are giving for many of the Sims in the narrative are also military. I mean, that whole, what you said there, it's, the more I read this thread, the more it, I'm agreeing with that statement. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't expect anyone to agree necessarily, but let's face it, they they gave the people who supposedly made the fake 9-11 amateur footage plausible reason to be carrying a camera. They were all in the media industry. They weren't really amateurs at all. And that doesn't mean the videos they made were real. You know what I'm saying? It just creates a very difficult situation for the average person to investigate it or make any claims against it. Yeah. They got it all wrapped up already for us. Look up to the authority. That's what it all leads to. I mean, what what could we do as on-the-ground researchers, really, in a safe city, too, where it's all military intelligence and you'd be watched like a hawk? For your moves, uh, you know, against this official story. Really, what what I see from law enforcement is they just want to protect themselves and their family. So yeah. I would imagine a safe city would be a good place to be. I don't mm-hmm. think they care what you say as long as you don't say it in their face. Oh, sure, sure. But I mean, if you start asking questions and they they are trained to be perfectly aware of the kinds of things that maybe are protected stories. I mean, you could ask it, like, not ask it, like, you know, just say, um, how many school shootings have happened around here? Yeah. You know, just ask generally. You'll still get the same information. Without. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to discourage anyone from on-the-ground research. I think that's actually one of the most powerful things we have, because we've got to replace the the media, or at least start pointing the camera at them and say, why are you filming that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Film the filmers if you can. Yeah, seriously. No, that's the thing that we should start doing. Document the media's behavior. If you can find them. (laughs) You can catch up to them. They've got a lot of vehicles and they've got a lot of equipment. Right. I think the the one example, though, that could demonstrate what you just said, there's some pretty cool videos with the airport shooting that happened recently. Have you seen that? Some guy is filming other guys filming the shooting. And the victim is just like laying there for like 15 minutes and everyone's ignoring him. It's really funny. You're like, you, you understand it's street theater. And I don't know. I go back and forth between acted and street theater and CGI. And I don't know. Maybe they use a little bit of everything. I'm sure they do. I think that's your best intuition yet. There, there must be some combination because it can't just be one single thing and i don't know if people involved even fully understand it or should 
because then they could spill the beans easier. It's a multimedia art form, <laughs> what we're dealing with here. It is, and we're the art critics. Again, I go back to <laughs> we're the critics, and we're going, you know, you could have been more moralistic here. You know, this could have been a bit more. <laughs> exactly. You, you didn't have to so lie bad. to your audience, you know. Right. You left that piece where you cut it with the saw when it was supposed to be an explosion on that car there. Just buff that up a little bit. Uh, yeah. All right. Who's next? Timothy Murphy. Oh, talk about art. Yeah. Uh, what I go. can offer. There you go. Is the observation that the artistic response to the school shooting seems especially dreamy for some reason. Uh, hey, Nostradamus. Douglas Copeland wrote a mythical school shooting novel called Hey, Nostradamus. He also made a school shooting art installation called Tropical Birds. The sound of kids' abandoned mobile phones sounded like birds. And there's a picture there of a, uh, looks like a kind of chaotic scene, but maybe gruesome because maybe it was dried blood or some kind of uh, gross thing on the ground there. And there's all these numbers everywhere. And I guess this is meant to be the installation. I think it's a it's a lunchroom scene, right? Right. Lunchroom, but with... Um, there's food on the table. A couple desks and chairs are tipped over. I think he's right. he's really onto something here. If we're talking about it as an art piece, I mean the whole thing, Columbine and all its associated cultural impact, it it, it has a kind of hypnotic quality. It's like let's peacefully contemplate terror and horror. It's icky, really icky. Yeah, there is a, a bit of art to it, isn't there? The way it's positioned, and you can see like all the important stuff is in frame. That's important. You know, like in real life, stuff always gets hidden behind stuff when you take pictures. But I notice with all these psyops, you get to see everything in one frame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Find we find the scorched um, bandana of the terrorist and the you know the slightly damaged passport of the terrorist. There, you know, <laughs> there it is. There is the evidence. The art. It's art to to and that you know who found the passport on nine eleven. Which, no, there was only one? Okay, who found it? So the terrorist passport, the, there's just one. It was the New York pol- chief of police. <laughs> I bet he did. I bet he, he was did. just walking. He could barely bend over, you know. But he, he, he saw it, and he probably had a little kid pick it up for him. <laughs> yeah, gross. There's more. That's not just it. There's more. Tell us about the rest of it. Oh, elephant. Then there's Gus Van Sant's elephant, which was incredibly dreamy, hyper-real, and a m- mixed in a strong gay theme for good measure. Huh, gay theme. Yeah, that's another interesting point. It's kind of like spurned romance or kind of oppressed romance theme. Mix it, it, it ties back to these psychological games where it's like there's outsider, insider. But more interesting is the British film which is not a response to school shootings, but more of a precedent. Oh, wow, 1968. A hand grenade of a film makes you laugh even as your blood chills. The name of it is If. If dot 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 dot. And there's a hand grenade with the pin in still. And there's a couple kids who look kind of preppy, and they've got, and one of them's got a huge rifle. Hmm. Oh, did he register that? 
<laughs> is this a looks it almost has a British flair to the poster art. I wonder it was oh yeah, British film. He said that. And the lead actor in that if film was also in Clockwork Orange. So it's quite a Ah, right, and that would also tie us back into subject of mind control and other themes. Yeah, so yeah, you got to get that in there. I mean, it's a multi—you know—the these hoaxes are. But it's sad. I mean, if I was if I was like someone listening and I didn't believe in media fakery, I would say, yeah, they have to make stories about it because they're trying to deal with it psychologically. Right. We could say that we're trying to deal with it psychologically, but why do we have to deal with it through their art form and those celebrity artists' interpretation of it? And in any case, are celebrity directors and producers and such qualified to help us process a story which itself is produced similarly to a, a fiction that in an art form that they also use? It just seems people in the same art form critique each other with their art but it's it i'm not does it help people put it all into context and escape the trap of the the visual hypnotic imagery that makes us believe these things are real or does it just reinforce it and ask us to stay in their dreamy uh fantasy landscapes yeah that that would be the answer. <laughs> Very good, right? Do you realize you're being programmed to to continue to believe it? And the the type of support that's needed to keep these hoaxes up. My God, just look at nine eleven. The constant programming to maintain that hoax is is such a giant machine. It's a system of some kind for sure. I mean, do we just do you think the media just accidentally? Re- accidentally throws 9-11 into their stories once in a while and you know the news in print in videos and news stories whatever and uh television shows have are full of agendas or do you think they're all these things are said now put 9-11 there you know there's like some guy organizing it put make sure put 9-11 in that Mm, i wonder i think it's a culture for sure you know i mean i think oh and we can tie it to 9-11 in the board meeting you know they say well Oh, and we can tie it to seven uh, seven because you know we have this. It's I I, I think they're running in a in a system where the sensationalism has been has become invisible. It's like institutional racism or institutional uh, or other forms of oppression that are institutionalized. It just happens. It's just kind of like part of their culture. Do they consciously say, "Well, it's time now for another"? Uh, 9-11 story, you know, maybe their supervisors do that, but I think the, the stupid paid actors who, who like read the news to us, they're just kind of like, okay, whatever. I don't know. I have the, I have the sense that they, they see some benefit from it, but I'm not sure how conscious they are of it. And, but again, this is all very speculative until we <laughs> get to ask, anchors what it's like being handed a story that that, that they don't actually investigate their job is to just read it (laughs) shut up and read and look good while you're doing it please Mm -hmm. he does point out in the end oh yeah to my non-artistically trained eyes the dreaminess of hey nostradamus and elephant is quite redolent of the aesthetic of the virgin suicides book and film is it an aesthetic which is consistently attached to fetishizations of youth death 
and we see a poster for Hey Nostradamus, the Virgin Suicides an Elephant. And indeed, there's kind of a cloudy thing going on, and he characterizes it as dreamy, glowing haziness. It isn't just a cultural response, but a, a visual language that is kind of imposed on our culture. And if it's seen as powerful and it's getting attention, other artists latch onto it and they go, oh, I can get attention by also characterizing, you know, this fetishization of youth death with a hazy, you know, blue sky and clouds and kind of like overly calm, kind of disturbing imagery. I don't know. It just seems like it, if these things happen, it's not necessarily a big conspiracy where everyone involved is, you know, shutting up about what they know. I think a lot of it is just go along kind of people that don't see anything beyond the personal profit or personal attention they're getting on something. Right. Just seems there's not enough samples here to make a decision over. That's true. That's a good point, too. He's certainly crafting his feeling well. There's a lot of teen death books out there, and there's just three. But it's a good point. They do um, romanticize it, definitely, also. I will just conclude my contribution to this issue by, (laughs) which is not really my contribution, but just a reading of Clues Forum, with the point that... um, Simon JCP makes on June 20th. He says, Well, Hoy, I suppose that if we want to look at this from a simulations angle, we should look at the victims. Here's the list. And there's the images have been stripped because, oh, because we transitioned this from Reality Shack to Clues Forum. So we may have to go back in and rebuff up this uh, thread. But he concludes, One thing that jumps out to any good decoder, quote-unquote, is the fact that there are 13 victims. One looks deeper, and they realize that 12 students and one teacher were killed. That's kind of like 12 apostles and Jesus, question mark? I think that's pretty funny. (laughs) That is. Interesting. I'm sure it meant something at the time this was done. Oh, and you know what? When was the shooting again? 99? See, we're coming up on the year 2000 here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Christians were worried about what's going to happen. Ah, so right. I think this this was specifically, or in addition to, you know, targeted at Christians. Because a lot of Christians were saying, you know, the rapture was going to happen on two, in the year 2000. I, I think this is a pretty good introduction for people to start looking at it for themselves if they if they want to. Right, and Simon does a really good a summary we should read also. Oh, yeah. Let, let's do, let's finish with that, maybe. So he says, My two Columbine cents, and this is June 21st, 2010. So far, if I may just think aloud a little, it seems to me that Columbine was some sort of exercised rehearsal in sim coordination in the view of 9-11. So it's, yeah, I'm kind of repeating what you said. By sim, I do not mean only Vic sim but all the simulation infrastructure needed for this kind of psyop. That's... Yeah, all the infrastructure. It's like a test of their, their system, basically. They had to test it out first, right? See what would happen and get the stories behind them. And wow. All right, so number one, phony press and TV coverage included super blurry images. 
Number two, scripted terrorist profiles, background, junk tales, Columbine killer envisioned crashing plane in New York City. <gasps> no. <laughs> Let's click on that one. Oh, did he really? <laughs> Look when it was released, too. Just in time for the 9-11 show. To remind us of Columbine and their success with psyoping us on, on the Columbine event. And tie it into their news story, the 9-11 shit. Right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, cheap. So we talked about numbers earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And what do they mean? Cheap numerological sim symbolism. <laughs> sim in there. Because <laughs> Eric David Harris was born April 9th, 1981. And Dylan Bennett Kleibold was born September 11th, 1981. Hmm. How odd. Born September 11th. Okay, whatever. Moving on. Wasn't the little girl that got killed at Gabby Gifford's thing also born on September 11th? We need a statistician on that. I know. Where's the stat? And then number four, bogus contradictory eyewitnesses, as listed by Simon JCP above. Number five, counterfeit autopsies. Oh, really? What's going on with the counterfeit autopsy? And counterfeit forensics. Kind of like when we investigated JFK and it was looking like there were some pretty weird pictures, supposedly, of the president and such. So I clicked on the Columbine High School victim's official autopsy report. And I think someone's some other person has put this together. Link below are the clinical autopsy reports of the kids who died. Who's a victim of a shooting incident? critical? Does it say who's signing, who's signing these reports? I guess we'll go to the last page. Huh. Uh, we need the first page. Ben Galloway, MD, forensic pathologist. Wait a minute. That name sounds familiar. I just can't believe how much shooting up these bodies are getting. Here's one uh, report from Dave Sanders, who was a teenager killed in Columbine. Perforating gunshot. So I'm going to read the pathological diagnosis for his death. Perforating gunshot wound to the neck and to the head with entrance left lower neck, exit right upper lip, partial transection of the left internal carotid artery. So, I mean, oh, he, he got he got an artery, so he's dead. Laceration of the tongue and avulsion of multiple teeth, associated hemorrhages. Perforation gunshot wound to the trunk with entrance right upper back, exit right upper chest. Fracture of the right clavicle, partial transection of the right subclavian vein, associated hemorrhage. This is the teacher who died. It feels official to me. What am I missing? How are they faked? I think that what he's pointing out is that they have the infrastructure to create counterfeit autopsies of forensics, and he's not actually saying that these are necessarily counterfeit, Mm -hmm. except that wouldn't it be easy to simply type these up, and there you go, you've got these. It's interesting, too, if you search Ben Galloway, it's certainly true that uh, most people will not look (laughs) into autopsies. No, it's gruesome. It is gruesome. Our work is sometimes gruesome. Yeah. Luckily, we don't have to conduct original autopsies. (laughs) Right. And you know what? Those those autopsy reports could you don't any secretary typing them up. Just 
pay a guy to sign them, you're good to go. It's not that difficult. Yes. So, so and then f- finishing the list. Cause should I do that? Yes, 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 sorry, please. All right. So this is Simon Shack's uh, finishing list of how you know how this is like one of these hoaxed events. So we're on number four. Oh, I think I did that. Bogus contradictory eyewitnesses. Number five, counterfeit autopsy. Six, and of course, memorials and foundations for the victims. And that, and then seven, fake cell phone calls. Oh, 9-11 was good for that. And then eight, lastly, heartbreaking trash propaganda movies with famous film stars like Deborah Winger. There you go. Oh, yeah. And let's not forget Bowling for Columbine was by oh. Michael Moore. That's right. Thank you, Michael Moore, for that heartrending story. All right. And to wrap it up, the last sentence, I also feel that all the talk in conspiracy circles about MK Ultra Mind Control that the suicide kids were supposedly submitted to is a form of distraction from the real state of affairs. A quite ironic one, actually. In reality, it is us, the public, and the world as the whole that is submitted to through constant hypnotizing effect of the news media horror tales. There you go. He agrees with you, okay? <laughs> he does. Yay. Wow.
Well, it's it's amazing. Looking back now, it's like it should have been more obvious. But I think we were all kind of taken by surprise by this thing. I mean, I think we were used to propaganda in wars and things, you know, the Gulf War and stuff. But and some people were very suspicious of, you know, the Holocaust and other world war propaganda. But this really was a successful test run of the infrastructure needed to to inject a story into the public imagination. And we fell for it really hard. Yeah, I think you first have to fall for it, and then <laughs> because you can't assume everything the media says is a lie, can we? No, I guess not. No, because I mean they do real stories. They do drive around and oh, here's an accident, and you know this this kid ran away and such. I mean some of these stories are real, but it, I think it's because they have that reputation that they're able to get away with completely fake stories or sensationalizing something that we would otherwise go, huh? You know, why did the whole country focus on the O.J. Simpson trial? What what did that have to do with what's really going on as a whole in this country? And yet it was just dominating the entire media. Yeah, that was bizarre. On that one, my mom and I, when it, I think it was two days old, right? My mom and I and my kids, we were in her camper. We were going around the Olympic Peninsula. We must have been out of it for like five days, no media at all. And when we got back home... Every news channel was talking about it. We were like, what the hell has happened? Have people lost their minds? <laughs> it's not that interesting of a story. Why is it on every damn channel? Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. frustrating. When we came back, it was like so obvious. It was like, it's not that he was only going 30 miles an hour on the highway. Why is, Why does anyone even care? Yeah, that's the story of my childhood, actually. <laughs> it's like I remember <laughs> being in elementary school and trying to get people to pay attention to the fact that we were... I mean, I didn't realize that this is what I was doing, but upon reflection later, I was traumatized by elementary school, and I wanted kids to understand that they could be nicer to each other, but they kept getting distracted by these stupid stories and and sensationalized things, and that was the topic. It wasn't how we could be treating each other better, but it was how we need to like protect ourselves from this awful world out there and how the state offers this like security blanket to us. So when I think about that and I think about how like a sensitive kid like I was is depicted in this story as a crazed loner, you know, with pent up anger that all I want to do is go and uh, kill people. That's really a misrepresentation of what the actual experience of a sensitive loner um, really is most of the time, I think. And I think that's deliberate. It's meant to make us afraid of talking with each other and especially paying attention to artistic and creative kids. Right. I think there's like two different stories. You know, there's the story for the grown-ups and they hear it one way, but then the story for the teenagers and they hear it another way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're definitely targeting demographics. I mean, that's the whole point of studying demographics for public relations. Oh, you right. see so that, how each each tier of the population will uh, will interpret the story. It's you you can see it also in Black Lives Matter and things like that. How stories are written to infuriate and exasperate different sides rather than unite them. Right. It's it's interesting because like after Columbine, I a lot of adults were afraid of teenagers at the mall. <laughs> mm. like, what are they gonna do? They're gonna shoot us up here. <laughs> oh. Mall kids. Yeah. 
But then what in high schools, what happened? They had to have more sensitivity training than ever. We oh, have constant geez. sensitivity training. Uh, and that's the other thing. And then it does sensitivity training actually train you to be sensitive <laughs> or does it just train you to be like intolerant or, or does it feel more like, yeah, I don't know. The, here's one thing that the, the, the whole Trump discussion got me into today. I spent a day reading about a discussion happening in leftist circles when they're arguing about all the horrible things that Trump will do that haven't happened yet. And it seems as though there's a kind of cultural consensus that, yeah, again, back on this project, that we can sort of like, we just need to figure out how to get people to work together to make the government work. And there isn't much discussion about the possibility that it's an impossible project, that the nature of humanity is such that we have to take a much more holistic approach to understanding how our systems work. And it's not fully moralistic to... it. it it's actually almost devoid of morality to force everyone into this government that's run by psychological operations. But it, but it, I'm learning that it maybe is a morality of some kind. It's the kind that says we should be all grouped together, you know, some of us, maybe not the ones at the top, but the people that are considered like farmed animals, like maybe we are considered, have to be grouped. And that is the only way for, you know, this perfect system to run for the, for the wealthy. Yeah. I'm sorry if that didn't have a conclusion to it. No, no, I, I like, I like that. They have their system. Yeah. And, and, and we're system. meant to buy into our role in it. We're meant to kind of get back into, Oh, well, who should be president and who should be running this or that? It's, and there's this kind of collapse going on in, I, I would say maybe like the democratic party or something where, <laughs> You know, they had this idea that, well, if we had just done it right, then the system would work like a dream or it would work better. <laughs> right. It, it, it would work better than the evil that Trump. It's not understood at all about maybe people are learning about limits or something like that. And I, sometimes I get worried that what we do is we contribute to backlash because, you know, peop, the average person might not be able to sit down and do research for themselves and do fact checking and they might not be able to process the research that they could do on every story but they can understand alex jones saying fake news fake news and in a way that kind of subconsciously acknowledges us without actually having to address what we're saying does that make sense oh absolutely the fact that they even had to mention fake news i think we are making an impact I re they could have used anything. They they could have said misleading news. The media could have chosen for their, you know, their phrase instead of fake news. They could have chosen um, false news, or they could have just said news that lies. There's so many other things they could have used, but they used fake. That's our word, man. Well, yeah, it's it's a useful word that we've been using. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, I feel like if we're not making an impact, we could also be read as as people who are seen as art critics or critics of culture, <laughs> people feel like they have to include us in their system. And this is the kind of shitty way that we've been included. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, Trump will help you because you've got fake news. Like he's talking about fake news. He's not going to ever do a reinvestigation of nine 11, which he perhaps believes uh, was an inside job or something. And, probably doesn't under, fully understand the whole media mechanism, but 
I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes I worry that we are, we don't know, nobody knows the result of what we're doing, but moves are constantly being made in the military intelligence circles to kind of just accommodate us and surround us with padding and people won't really get to the whole point, which is that they should be tuning into their own senses, their own critical thinking skills, doing their own research on things, um, and relearning how not to be fooled by the ex the so-called experts that that have had them convinced and yelling yelling at each other about things that aren't real. Right. I think it's the deception is so confusing for people because we're taught to believe everything we hear and we're taught to assume what we see on face value is reality, but I mean mm. we don't know why they're doing it and we don't know what their agenda is. Right. But it's not our agenda. It's not for our benefit. And I think if we like clue into that, just just because we hear it doesn't mean it's for our benefit. It's like start cluing in. It's like, is this for me? Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Hmm. You know, if people started to discern a little more, I think they would um, start turning off their TVs and realize, you know, this is not the world that's going to benefit me and my family. And, you know, a lot of Christians are doing that, but they still do. Dang it. They still watch the news. Mm, 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 Dang it. Mm. Right. It's hard. I mean, I, I've even heard from somebody recently that it's our obligation to watch the news, even if we know it's not real, because we have to understand what the official story is on things. And I don't think that's a position everyone needs to adopt at all. In fact, I think that it would be healthy if maybe more people started tuning into reality instead of the... Mm the broadcasts right but it makes a point but it does make really a, all this dialogue that we have is meant to bring up questions for people that they should answer for themselves we don't have any answers i think we are raising important questions and we're doing it in a peaceful way and we're not doing it in the way that the the pro-trump and the pro-hillary people are yelling at each other about i think that we're doing it in a way that is trying to be inviting and inclusive but I don't know if we're always succeeding because there's so many people wrapped up in that fight that, uh, you know, that's set up. Yeah. My biases escape me. So <laughs> it's like turn people off right away when they hear, you know, the conservative people, they, they don't want to hear the fake news thing so much. Now I'm realizing how many so-called uh, lefty people, too, are like completely reliant on and, and maybe depending on a propaganda infrastructure that they want to control. It's not that it's bad to them. To me, it's, it's immoral, but to them, it might not be bad to them. It's, we need to get it on our message. We need to, we need to be the ones, you know, telling people what to think, not them. And that is, uh, yeah, that's really, that's really too bad. And then there's those who don't actually want that, but there's a huge conservative base that thinks that's what is going on. And so they're resisting critical thinking and thinking they're resisting propaganda. Mm. It's like a catch-22 kind of doing one thing. Well, I have a, a part of a solution, right, is try restricting yourself to watching the news one night a week. Because the problem with news is a part of the mind control success is repetition, and they repeat stories throughout the week as they develop, even if there's no development. True. 
So just watch it once a week. You'll, you know, watch one of those wrap up shows. You'll get everything and all the goodies, yet a very little of the actual mind control that goes on. Because I don't, if you don't believe it or not, and here's how mind control works. If I'm ignorant on a subject, I have to, I, I automatically store the first thing I hear about it as truth. Right. You store the first thing you hear about it. That makes sense. So, you know, we're all watching this news and we think it's not programming us or we're watching conspiracy videos by other people and we think it's, but it is mind controlling us because they're bringing up topics we've never heard before for the very first time. And so our foundation then is, is the propaganda and mm. not the actual truth. So what was your take on that? My solution is, this is what I've been doing to myself. I'm not saying, I'm not sure this is good advice, but I just don't watch it at all. Period. I try to avoid it and I get it anyway as filtered through the imaginations of the people telling me about it and saying, well, you didn't hear about this. You know, you didn't hear about, uh, what is the latest thing about people being denied at the border and stuff? And I say, no, I haven't heard about it. Did you hear about the drama about Uber and people are, you know, I say, no, I didn't hear about that. And then I get, and I get the story from their perspective. And then I can simply ask questions of them. And some people, they've done some research on it or whatever, but most, mostly these stories kind of have a dead end in the sense that they're just like, well, and that's the drama that people are discussing. You know, that's how the story ends. And then I know that it's not something I need to be invested in because the main takeaway they got from the story is that there's a drama that other people are focused on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like that the human filter, right? Because then they pick up on what's important. Oftentimes you find that people, the reason they're interested in a story is just because it's dramatic and people are interested in it. It's like, a, oh, people are talking about this. Let's talk about it. What's your take on this? And my take is sometimes like, well, if you don't have anything more to add, except that people are interested in the subject, I don't really feel like we're adding much to the subject. So let's just talk about something that's valuable to us instead. And oftentimes that effectively ends the conversation. And we're both really happy about it. Even the person that brought up the drama in the first place, they're like, oh, yeah, like that doesn't. Yeah, you're right. Like that doesn't. It's just a drama. It's interesting and funny that people get worked up about it. OK, cool. Right. Something different to think about. But some of them, they're getting horrific, though, the stories, and they, they are traumatizing at a point. Yeah, like, yeah. And the it, human it, death toll. Yeah. And we need to definitely examine this. Uh, we need to examine what's going on in our world, for real. But I, as I keep saying, like the project of government is something that we need to re-examine about what we are actually doing with this. How much is it obsolete? And if it's obsolete, do we need something to replace it? If we do or if we don't, how do we go about doing that? I mean, these discussions are coming up now and they can't contain it. And I'm not sure if they're wanting to or if maybe they're also wondering, Ooh, how are we going to get this back on track here? It's hard to say. I, th I think it's its own machine. Hey, uh, do you know what the Department of Transportation is up to these days with the U.S. government? Tell us. Driverless cars. They're working on legislation. Oh, yeah, for yeah, yeah nationwide driverless cars and they're working on the highway infrastructure to accommodate them that's their number one task and it has been since obama they've been working on it full time wow they don't even need psyops to get people on board with that because all they have to do is give us the real numbers of traffic accidents seems to me it's just dangerous there's no one there well shit i'm gonna take it over 
Come mm-hmm. on, just shoot the tire out. Steal what's inside, you're done. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's true that they, like, in tests, they've been superior to people in driving. I mean, there's always going to be accidents and mistakes, but it'll be interesting to watch this happen and how the infrastructure occurs. It's such an odd thing what's going on in parallel. There's the technology thing and the people who care about integrating that into government and the people who don't. And there's the human evolution thing, or, you know, I'm not sure if I I like the word evolution because it implies some, like, constant uh, improvement and filtering out of badness. But anyway, human changes that are occurring and people who want a more individualist future human and the people who want a more collectivist human or the people who want the kind of in-between that's going on now and our relationships to what the transhumanists, the, the, the people who think that all that range of collectivist to individualist could be going through all sorts of different biological engineering and things like that. It's, it's a, we've got, we're definitely into living in interesting times. You can't say that we live in boring times, that's for sure. But I think we also can't forget that corporations and government are, there's such a, a tight relationship. Yeah. You know, they, they're supportive of each other, and we're just the guys down here. Like, 33 corporations working on autonomous ve- autonomous vehicles at this time. Mm. This is a current. There's Apple, Audi, Bai. It's a Chinese. Baidu, it's a Chinese partner working with BMW. Mm. There's uh, Intel, Mobileye, Bosch. I mean, 33, it's the, the, big, the, big, the big dudes. They're Ford, yeah. GM. Google, Honda, Hyundai, right. and Jaguar, and is, and they're and all. It, like you Microsoft. were saying. <laughs> well, Sorry. No, yeah, that's how. Wow, it's uh, it's amazing. But to me, it, it brings back bring us brings us back on the subject of what you said earlier about, well, we can name Bill Clinton or we can name Bush, um, but, you know, the system itself is something much more complex. And I would say the same thing about corporations and governments. We can name a corporation and we can name a government, but... there's a culture that is running these things that it wouldn't work. You know what I'm saying? Like it wouldn't work without that culture. The corporation is just a manifestation of the culture in a legal framework. But, but the paranormal beliefs behind it are something like, you know, uh, money is benevolent when everyone is working towards their own self-interest or, or something like that. Or it's, there's a lot of um, odd religious beliefs when you get down to the so-called secular world. I think if we study culture, we, we are change agents in a way. We are people who are criticizing culture and in so doing, changing it. I, I want to believe it's for the better. I always want to believe it's for the better. We should always examine this and make sure that we are not causing extremism or, I mean, I think that since we like blatantly advocate against it, that we shouldn't be causing it, but humans are complex. We are. And I think you mentioned something one time, which kind of stuck with me, you know, by us analyzing these um, media stories, we help the hoaxers make them better next time. Oh, this is a dilemma, a big dilemma for me. It makes this is sometimes when I take a break from Clues Forum, something I, <laughs> something I meditate on. Like, oh, I'm not contributing to their refinements right now. Thank goodness. Right. 
I always thought maybe we could fake them into another. <laughs> yes. It wrong. I know. We've we've often talked about that. I think we might do that on accident, though. I mean, the, the just way, because of our ignorance. Just because of our ignorance and their <laughs> yeah. ignorance combined. We're all humans. It's so, like bad advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, they should have made this, you know, more realistic. And then that's exactly when people are like, that's too realistic. That's not real. You know, so it's okay. it's flawed. That was a fun talk. You have fun? That was. I guess murder isn't so sad after all. I don't know. Ooh. Well, you've got you always got some sobering conclusions. Sure. Let, let's let's settle on that. Murder can be uh, something that is not murder. How about that? There you go. And then you don't feel bad about it and get emotionally manipulated by it and just go on with your life and enjoy. True, true. Uh, but in the cases that it's uh, real, you know, and it is a very serious thing. Okay, you know what? And if it was real, okay, let's address that for a minute because sure. the media does a really bad job at this. Yes. If it was real... We talk about it for a day or two, mm -hmm. and we say, God bless those kids and those families, and you just move the hell on, and you stop talking about it every night. That's right. For the for for any real victims and things, all they have is their support network. And maybe you could say if it's real that strangers can still pray, but there's a kind of strange thing that that happens when you start talking about that, which is... What happens when you pray to heal an event that didn't happen or a scenario that isn't real and you're and you're wanting to improve the situation for those people? Do you think they get some kind of icky benefit from that? Are they thinking like, you know, yes, pray for me because, you know, all this sympathy or are they or are they just like, hey, I got money flowing in. Awesome. They, you know, they're not even thinking about it on a metaphysical level. I can't even go there mentally. It's so disturbing that I just think, yeah, maybe sometimes the best solution is, as you say, unless it's close to you, you can just move on. If it is close to you, as my as my dad says, being there in an emotional space is okay, you know. And well, for a little bit, yeah, sure, and then move on and be done with it. And emotionally, that's but the when they keep bringing it up they re-traumatize people yeah, over just, and over and over the main thing is try not to get traumatized that's 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 it right yeah just try not to get traumatized and honestly why why am i forced to and i think this part of the psyop is to force people to feel bad about stuff they shouldn't be feeling bad about oh gosh yeah that's my number one argument with my dad that we have all the time it's the emotional space that should be created um, for everything all the time versus the average person's emotional fatigue or compassion fatigue, where it's like, no, you don't, you don't have to constantly expose them and re-traumatize them over things, you know. But he's a really because he right because he cares. He wants to, you but, know, yeah. show it. But he's really tough in his own yeah. way. And Aww. how is your dad? That was such a fun talk we did. What Clues Chronicle was that when you? He's dad doing went? really good. So your father was in Clues Chronicle thirteen. Oh. I had floss. Hey, and really, I got really good reviews, so I recommend Eileen to people out there. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, he's well. He's um, what is he up to lately? He's he's into the doctrine of discovery, which I think is a pretty awesome thing to be aware of. It is the talk about talk about the basis for governments and the bullshit that they pull out of their ass for this is 
this thing where you know they would walk up and on you know quote virgin unquote land and to these savage people supposedly savage primitive people um tribal you know this all this weird language uh that people use to refer to other people <laughs> that are just living differently they would say some words and then that meant they could commit genocide and claim the land and stuff like that and that to this day is used as the legal basis like the legal basis for the creation and main maintenance of the state of florida you know say those say some words that the, is so and the funny state of texas and stuff like that so yeah say I mean, some words <laughs> that's really dang it that distills it all down right yeah you just say some words i own that now i just said some words <laughs> God dang it. And um, some churches are repudiating it and saying, you know what? Every time we encounter this doctrine of discovery shit, we are going to dismantle it because it's nonsense. And I say, I, apl- I applaud them. I say, good, good on you. You know, it's a start. Yeah. Right. It's a start. Seriously, some of the most awesomely committed people I ever knew I found in the Catholic Church. Yeah, you you know you can dis religion, but boy, you got a lot of sincere people doing really cool things. Yeah, with religion, and even yeah. saying you know, well, yeah, we know our leaders, and we've got some problematic leaders, but the, I'm here for the community. You know, <laughs> that's what some people are all about. I, I that's so healthy. Right, right. It's like, right, like I can't do something because I have this for a president. That's ridiculous. <laughs> this for a leader, right? Okay, you you cheer me up. Well, this was good. This was great. I missed you. We had not talked for a long time. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get this um, other person that I think would be make a really good interview subject, but he says he wants to vet our program and make sure that it's something he wants to talk about. But oh, I think he we have enough issues. Listen to them all. Oh yeah, <laughs> and there's more coming up. Oh my gosh, we're not even like halfway through the list of topics yet, so that we even have planned. Right. So anyway, let's let's keep, keep it, it real, real together. Together. <laughs> Talk at you next time. Bye. <laughs> Talk at you next time. All right. Bye. Wait. Bye. Take care. Take care. Yes, Atlanta. I hear you loud. It, it was the saddest and most traumatic, most traumatic, most traumatic story I've ever covered. I would rather cover a war than a school shooting. Maybe there's some elements of the public that are really clamoring for this, but everyone I talk to, everyone, reporters, just friends, you know, outside of the situation, they see the word Columbine and their eyes glaze over. You know, a lot of people think we're we're vultures. We we like it when a tragedy happens, and we want to win awards. And maybe it's time to just say goodbye to this story. But since the 20th, it has been hard to read the papers and watch the news. Not so much because there's too much Columbine in the media, and there is too much Columbine in the media. But because I know that a lot that was said about Columbine by the media was inaccurate at best and lies at the worst. By 11.30, usually our scripts are done for the noon show, and we heard that there was um, reports of a shooting at Columbine. Scripts were done for the noon show. Scripts are done for the noon show. Scripts are done. Uh, so get on the set, get ready in case something ha- If it is real, we'll, we'll break in early and then, you know, just do an update and have more at noon. We had no idea. If it is real, if it is real, if it is real, if it is real, no idea what was going to happen that day. 
And I thought, those parents need information, and they need it fast, as, as much as we could give them. As much as we could give them. As much as we could give them. So as the viewer is learning about what's going on with the story, we rely on the producer to tell us where to go next. We rely on the producer to tell us where to go next. And, uh, you know, we wear these little earphones, and, and they tell us what to do next. And, and they tell us what to do next. And, and they tell us what to do next. And, and they tell us what to do. The producer and director were in the control room. The executive producer was in there. I was in their control room. And we started to get more, more phone calls, some of which proved to be hoaxes, we later found out. Control room. We want to go on the phone right now to James, who is a student. Uh, James, we understand you're inside the school? Yes, I am. Control room. Okay, and, and you're in a secure area, I imagine. Control room. Yeah, I'm in the classroom, locked doors. Control room. Okay, what, what's going on there now? Can you what he was saying seemed to be true, because while he was saying he was hearing gunshots, our crews out in the field were saying we're still hearing gunshots. And I think what was happening was he was watching the coverage on TV, and as new information was being related over the TV, he just sort of repeated. Whatever he had given as his name, there was no one registered at Columbine or in the Jeffco Public Schools at all with that name. A lot of them had their own agendas. A lot of them thought of this is their 15 minutes, and they wanted to be surrounded by cameras and to tell their sob stories of being stuck under a library table or, you know, running through the halls as shots are being fired. And yeah, I mean, we were all over that. But later on, it comes out not only were Harris and Klebold not members. Uh, this group was just a bunch of kids posing for a yearbook picture. People now are seeing the news process unfold before them. Control room. Whereas in the past, they may not have seen that. So uh, grenades were reported going off in the school. Um, a number of different things that proved to be wrong, just wrong. In fact, perhaps the, the, the worst example of a wrong piece of information came from the county sheriff who came out four o'clock in the afternoon, four, hour, four and a half hours later, saying there's 25 dead. And everybody reported that. I mean, how could you not report it? It came from the sheriff. We were made to relive that horrible day over and over and over and over again. Um, and when, you know, when I'm going into New York from the airport, you know, I'm flying over, like we flew over Ground Zero the other day flying in and um, the terror. I was at McVeigh's execution and flew over Ground Zero the other day. I was at McVeigh's execution and flew over Ground Zero the other day. I was at McVeigh's execution. Your eyes glaze over. The terror. Yeah, I mean, we were all over that. The terror. Your eyes glaze over. Maybe it's time to just say goodbye to this story. Lies, 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 lies at the worst.